Morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Friday. That's all you need to know. For some reason, I'm exhausted. I had uh, such a good night's sleep. Such a good night's sleep. And I woke up shattered this morning. Why is that? How has that happened? I was doing that thing of driving in, and I wasn't falling asleep at the wheel, but my eyes were getting a little bit crossed. And I thought, oh, I should... Uh, I turned up Wally Webb on the radio. Yeah, right. And I thought... I, no, I did. And I, sh- I thought, focus. Focus on, on Wally. That'll sort things out. But lots on the show this morning, including we reveal how many crimes have been committed by young children in Bedfordshire. At what age do you think children know the difference between right and wrong? The world's oldest surviving Vauxhall will be sold at auction today. Can we find the oldest working car being driven around beds, hearts and bucks today? I'll start. Mine's six years old. Can we beat that? (laughs) Can we? Uh, And when did you last play a cassette or a video? You can get in touch lots of ways. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or... You can give me a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, figures obtained by BBC Three Counties Radio show that 59 crimes have been committed by children aged 9 and under. 59 crimes by kids under 9 and under. That's incredible. In Bedfordshire in the last two years. Children under the age of 10 are deemed to not be responsible and are not punishable by the law. Our reporter Victoria Cook has been looking into this. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning. Can you explain a bit more about this age of criminal responsibility? Right, so in the UK, so in England and Wales specifically, it's age 9 and under. Uh, Children of this age aren't deemed to be able to understand the consequences of their actions. Mm -hmm. And actually they're not even really seen as crimes. So when I was looking into these figures, a lot of the police forces that I've been looking at have been saying, well, you you can't even really call them crimes, which is interesting. They aren't seen as being able to determine right from wrong in the same way that adults do. And some people say, well, you know, why don't we punish an eight or a nine-year-old who vandalises your car? Well, some medical research says if we did that, if we criminalise young children, it could have a negative impact on them. Uh, Children under 10 who break the law can't be charged with committing a criminal offence. However, they can be given what's called a local child curfew, so they can't be out at certain times, or a child safety order, and that's where they can be placed under the supervision of a youth offending team. Uh, Children under 10 who break the law regularly can sometimes be taken into care or Mm. their parents be held responsible and this varies all over Europe it's quite interesting when you start looking at all the different ages of criminal responsibility so in Scotland they've increased theirs just earlier this year to 12 in Finland though interestingly it's 16 wow okay but then countries like Switzerland and Nigeria it's 7 years old so they would say an 8 year old is criminally responsible Um, in the last year the, the Royal Society this is quite interesting they published a review of the age of criminal responsibility and they say they believe some experts believe that some regions of our brain, they're not, uh, including the parts that are uh, responsible for decision-making and impulse control, they're not fully mature until the age of 20. What?! So they're saying that you can commit crimes when you're 18, but you don't quite know that you've committed a crime? Well, they're saying that I think some areas of the brain don't mature to have that reasoning until you're 20. Why did you investigate this, Victoria? What prompted you? Well, it was earlier this year when I was um, doing a report for BBC Look East, local television, and um, was looking at a space of 
large rocks being thrown at cars from Maceway bridges. Oh, I remember this, yes. And yes. There, there were some pretty serious incidents. Cars were being very badly damaged. And obviously, if you're driving along a dark, dual carriageway yep. at night, you can't see this coming. So it was really frightening people, and it was happening quite regularly. Uh, in the end, it was Suffolk Police who found it was two eight-year-olds responsible for it. Was it really? I missed the conclusion to that story. For a, for a number of those incidents, yeah. it was. And uh, uh. when I went to interview the police, they said, well, they're not held criminally responsible. They don't realise what they've done. So there was no punishment. Oh, come on. At eight, listen, uh, uh, at eight years old, you know that throwing a rock over the bridge onto a motorway is a terrible thing to do. Well, I lifted one of those rocks and they were very <laughs> heavy. What, what, so we got, we've got, heard about the rocks being chucked. What other kinds of uh, crimes are being committed by uh, children in Bedfordshire? So looking at the, the figures that the BBC Three Counties radios obtained, uh, the 59 crimes committed in Bedfordshire in the last two years range from theft from shops across Luton to criminal damage to vehicles and buildings mm. in Bedford. There was one eight-year-old involved in a burglary in Dunstable and another eight-year-old involved in causing actual bodily harm. That was also in Bedford. Um, some of the crimes involve quite severe offences, such as a sexual offence committed by an eight-year-old in Arlesey. Mm. Um, the youngest offenders on the list include a four- and five-year-old from Luton who were involved in arson, which the police say endangered people's lives. Uh, and what do Bedfordshire police say about these figures? Well, they're not able to join us on the programme this morning, but they have sent this statement. They say children under the age of 10 are not criminally liable, so cannot formally be investigated or punished for their offence, no matter how serious. Any officer attending a report of an incident involving a child under 10 is trained to use their professional judgment on a case-by-case basis on how best to deal with it. Sometimes advice to the family might be appropriate, or if the circumstances in which the child is found committing the incident are cause for concern, then the case is referred to social services under a child in need policy. They say our approach is always based on flexibility and common sense. Uh, but we approach Hertfordshire and Thames Valley Police for this same information, but unfortunately they were not able to provide the data. Mm. But later this morning we'll hear from Professor John Pitts from the Centre for the Study of Crime at the University of Bedfordshire, and he'll explain some of his research around the different ages of criminal responsibility across Europe. We'll also hear from a psychologist who deals with child development, and we'll be looking at this from the point of view of the victim. Later, we'll be joined by charity Victim Support. It's fascinating stuff, Victoria. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, today, I want to hear from you, dear listener. At what age do you think children know right from wrong? 08459 455 555. I would say an eight-year-old chucking rocks over the top of a bridge onto cars would know that that was inappropriate behaviour, wouldn't they? When do you think kids are old enough to know the difference between right and wrong. 08459 455 555. It's an interesting one, isn't it? At what age do you think kids uh, should be responsible for any crimes they commit? When do you think they know the difference between right and wrong? I would say, I would say definitely at eight, don't they? And you can't prosecute kids under the age of nine. Well, then you should be doing something to the parents. I don't want to sound all, all, all right-wing and fascist, but surely someone has to take responsibility for these little so-and-sos, don't they? Oh, it's getting me angry, that's... My, if my little boy did anything like that, oh, he would be grounded for the rest of his life. Until he was 38, he wouldn't be allowed out of the house. 08459 455 555. Later on in the show... You will get to hear um, that Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who is a, is a very, very adequate presenter who works here, and myself, um, and what we got up to yesterday. We've been talking about it for a while. We were very lucky to go to the Luton Who, which is, has got to be, I would suggest, the swankiest hotel in the world. So swanky that when Jonathan asked um, the manager what celebrities had been there, 
he refused to tell us. That's how swanky it is. That the Queen spent her the, her wedding night there. Yeah, I know. It's dead posh. We went there, and for whatever reason that is now lost within the mists of time, we went shooting, um, and it, it was uh, it was fun. Here's a little tease of what you'll get to hear later. Are you ready? Yeah. Here he comes. Move to him. Stay with him. Bang. Oh, look at it! <laughs> yes! Oh. I've trained a killer. Come on. <laughs> you feeling good? You, you hit it. I'm feeling really butch. <laughs> that was Jonathan Werner-Smith. Feeling really butch. You can hear the full report. I say report. I mean, it's just, it's just two men with far too much time on their hands. Uh, being idiots. But you can hear that um, uh, a little bit later on. And I tell you what, I've always kind of been quite against gun sports. I've always thought they were nasty, obnoxious, horrible, didn't see any reason in them at all. It, it changed my mind a bit yesterday. It really changed my mind a bit. 08459 455 555. Let's get the travel news now. Let's go to Sophie Tyler. Oh, sorry, I do apologise. There's me heading towards the travel news. Hearts and Bucks travel. I'll do it, I'll do it. You should have seen the panic on my team's face then. They went, what, no, hey, whoa, we haven't got the travel news. What are you doing? Cut, cut. I'll, I'll do the travel news. Basically, what's happening is the, the roads are a bit wet, some are a bit d- dry, there's probably an accident somewhere, um, and y- the trains are probably running fine. At the- oh, she's here. Sophie, you're here. I do apologise, Sophie, I went too far too early. And I've, I've had to kind of ad-lib. Basically, I've said that some of the roads are a bit ropey, some are fine, and trains are okay. Is that it? On the whole, fairly correct. You, yes. You fill in the details. <laughs> you fill in the gaps. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's pretty much what I said, Sophie. Come on, for goodness sakes. Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555. I'll be talking to you about cassettes and video recorders in a bit. So just, if you're a user of the, that, that old-fashioned technology, keep... keep listening but before that it's always uh, a joy and a mystery and uh, sometimes it's a bit tedious but let's find out what justin <laughs> dealey's up to I'm, ju- I'm just being honest oh justin. yes i know you are R- what are you up to this morning well it's a big day today because uh, the world's oldest surviving voxel goes under the hammer at auction today wow. could go for about 60 to eighty thousand pounds they reckon yeah, this wow. is a t- yeah i know it's how t- old is it do we know it goes back to 1903 it's um, a two-seater car which was built for the luton based company's managing director now i'm going to be going later on to the Vauxhall Heritage Centre in Lucerne, which is the home to 70 classic cars from Vauxhall's history, including wow. my all-time favourite, the Vauxhall VX220. Can I just say, if we have anybody listening from that fantastic centre, do not let Justin Dealey drive <laughs> any of those vehicles. I have actually driven the Vauxhall Astra before from that Heritage Centre round the car park. They did regret it afterwards, <laughs> but it was a good time. <laughs> Justin, I look forward to listening to that. Th- oh, Justin, before yes. you go... Uh, uh, I'm going to be talking about cassettes and videos and things. There's there's a brilliant letter in one of the papers today, in the Telegraph. Uh, It says, Sir, I read recently in my local paper, the Bognor Regis Observer, of the theft of some cassette tapes from a car. (laughs) This begs two questions. Who still has cassettes in their car, and who would want to steal them? That's from Philip Duckling in Bognor Regis. I still use cassettes, not in my car. The last car I bought, my six-year-old Polo, it's only got a CD player, and I kind of said, is there any chance we can get a tape player put in? And they laughed at me. But I use cassettes. I do have a video recorder at home. Do you, do you use Hang all on that? a minute. Why do you still use cassettes? I'm confused. Because, lo- 
Well, because a lot of my stuff is on cassettes, <laughs> really? and I like I like the kind of clattery noise they make when you you go oh, through the tapes, no. clatter, clatter, clatter. I, I always hated cassettes, but I had to buy cassettes because back then, of course, I wanted a Walkman, and they only <laughs> took cassettes. So yeah. I've still got the odd one, like wet, 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 popped in, sold out. How sad <laughs> is that? But um, no, I, w- when I was younger, I did buy the odd cassette. I threw a lot of them out about a year ago, oh. and good riddance because that they always went wrong, didn't they? Suddenly they they get chewed up. What a poor criminal! though why would you go and steal cassettes I who's going to want to buy them that's pretty poor just insane thank you very much pathetic indeed there you go oh eight four five nine four double five five double five i'm a fan of of, of these old-fashioned technologies i believe they'd be called so cassettes and videos i do have a video recorder it's not under the tv it's up in this it's up in the, the what i laughingly call the office it's called the office because it has a computer in there it's just a, it's like a cupboard basically and, and sometimes i convert old videos and put them onto the computer and, and, and do stuff do you still use a video recorder or a cassette player oh eight four five nine four double five five double five you'll get five points if you still use a betamax the Jacksons, can you feel it? I like that song. I like the video because they're giants, aren't they? They're giants walking through a town sprinkling gold dust everywhere. It's, it's a good video. I love it. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number if you want to give us a call about any of the things that we are talking about this morning. Now, referrals to a privately run surgery next to the Lister Hospital in Stevenage have been stopped following the deaths of two patients. The surgery centre will not be taking referrals for joint and eye surgery as an NHS investigation is carried out. In May, 87-year-old Antonietta Mansi went to the clinic centre, owned unit for a routine knee operation, but died four days later. Our reporter, Sophie Solerio, has been speaking to her brother, Michael, at his home in Hitchin. Antonietta was a very kind person. She spent a lot of her time doing embroidery. We've got this one here. That's a floral tribute. I must have had about 15 of these, and I've distributed them to my cousin. She liked flowers, did she? She liked flowers. She was a wonderful gardener. I used to make sure she was taken to church, taken to the club, collected. She knew that she only had to ring me, and I'd be there. She was my life. Why did she go into hospital in the first place? She, had, she went into hospital because she had uh, an arthritic knee and uh, it, the pain was so excruciating, towards the end she could hardly walk. The hospital operated on her, replaced the knee joint. Uh, for the first two days she was getting on very well. So that went according to plan? That went according to plan and the surgeon made a fantastic job. The uh, On the Thursday I noticed her speech was a little bit slurred and she mentioned to me that uh, she wasn't passing any water. So to make this clear, from your recollection you can't remember the hospital ever giving her any fluid? No, there was no drip at the side of her bed at all. I can vouch for that she was coming out on the friday so i rang up the hospital more or less to make arrangements to bring her home next thing i get a telephone call come straight away because she's in intensive care i managed to kiss her for the last time and she the last word she said to me is have you had your dinner (laughs) which i said yes so what are the hospitals saying she died of the hospital says on the uh, that's the death certificate is it Total knee replacement and acute acute kidney injury. You don't believe this? Well, I believe she had acute kidney injury because she wasn't hydrated. If they had monitored her, she'd still be here today. So you think the hospital was negligent? Yes, I think so, yes. And have you asked for a report or an inquest? 
the coroner said there wouldn't be an inquest and I left it at that because I thought it, if I started to protest it would be quite fallacious and uh, I'd get nowhere. I would like to see all the documentation, how much drug she was given, how much fluid she was given and lots of other things. Are you going to fight for this? What are you going to do? I don't think there's much point. Michael, you were Anita's sole carer. Yes. How does life feel without her now? Life is very, very sad because uh, I'm by myself. I find the week, the weeks drag, and now there's lots of things, nice things that have happened in the family that I can't tell her. I mean, uh, ha- had she had not had this knee, needed this knee surgery, she would have gone on for another three, four, five years quite easily. That's our reporter, Sophie Solaria, speaking to the brother of Antonietta Mansi. Um, NHS Hertfordshire says the decision to suspend referrals for orthopaedic and ophthalmology patients was for a temporary period. It comes as part of the ongoing intensive monitoring of the management of services at the Clinic Centre-owned unit. Its director, Mike Hobbs, says that the temporary suspension was not a reflection of their clinical standards. He had it added in Anten- uh, Antonietta's case, she was transferred from the Lister Surgery Centre to the Lister Hospital following her operation, where she died of complications associated with pneumonia. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, when did you last use a cassette? Be honest, I'm, I'm dead jealous of any cars that have cassette players in them. I like cassettes. I love videos. I don't use videos that often. I still say, I've got one of those Sky Plus boxes, the hard drive boxes, you know. But I still say, I'm going to tape. I'll tape Watchdog tonight. Yeah, no, I'll, re- I'll, I'll record it. I'll record EastEnders. I don't know why I say standards. We never record standards. We do take watchdog, though. Um, ben in Bucks has texted in. 81333, starting his text 3CR. The last time I played a cassette tape was in 2005. As I like a bit of drum and bass. <laughs> yeah. And you used to get tape packs from the events, but now they're all on CD. If you showed a kid a cassette and a pencil, they would not know what to do with those two things. You know, you know what to do. You put it in and you wind it back. Kids these days. Don't know, they're born, do they? Well, they do, obviously. Why on earth are Dick and Dom tweeting me? And why are Dick and Dom together at half past six in the morning? Dick and Dom, don't just tweet me. Call in for goodness sakes. We'll wait for your phone call while we listen to the news with Catherine Boyle. Call 08459 455 Coming up in the next half an hour, I meet the Luton woman who is nominated for an award for her work with victims of abuse and why a Dunstable school is taking legal action over problems with this summer's GCSE English exam. Dick and Dom have tweeted me. I've checked they've got the blue tick, so it means it must be at least one of them. Maybe it's the and. I had a blue tick on the Twitter. That means you're, like, officially you. And then I lost it. But did, <laughs> I lost it. Did someone take it? Did someone complain? Anyway, Dick and Dom do make a vaguely relevant point. At some point, we must get round to transferring the moment when you interviewed us on TV from VHS. That's the thing. I've got boxes, boxes in my loft of old VHS tapes. Not necessarily of me, just of stuff that I taped off the telly. Like the Young Ones and um, the Mary Whitehouse experience and loads of stuff like that. And I keep thinking, oh no, m- mustn't throw those away. You, you never know when I might want to watch an episode of the Mary Whitehouse experience. I can tell you when, it'll be never. But 
just don't want to throw it away. 08459 455 555 if you want to give us a call this morning. Now, yesterday, Jonathan Vernon Smith and I, we went out on a bit of a mandate. We went, oh, mandate, that's, that's a word already, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, we went clay pigeon shooting. I bought be- wellies for the occasion and everything. Green ones cost me a tenner. I know, t- wellies for ten quid. I bet they last for a really long time. Anyway, this is a little tease of what happened yesterday. Ian's about to fire one now. Am I going to pull the trigger? The trigger? Oh, Here we go. Target's coming now. Follow him up. Bang. Oh, yes! yes! I shot it! I shot it! I shot it! Good work. I shot two of them! I just shot... I just shot two of them! Come on, then, let's go. Right, here we go. Right, here we go. Let it get to the top. There we go. There. Oh, God! Excellent. Why do you pull that terrifying face after each shot? That's what's quite my, worrying. My gum face. D- Jonathan's gum face is actually terrifying. We've got pictures that, that were taken and a little bit of footage that we filmed, uh, and we'll put that up on the Facebook page. And you can hear the full report. I use the word report very, very loosely, uh, but you'll hear that um, a little bit later on in the show. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number if you want to give us a call. Now, a woman from Luton uh, who is a, a victim of abuse has been nominated for a community award. Deborah Knight now helps other victims through her work with Abuse Victim Support. She joins me in the studio now. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning. Uh, this is really early for you. I appreciate you coming in. I believe you're looking after a two-year-old as well at the moment. So <laughs> I'm going to be babysitting my nephew. There's so. going to be no catching up on the sleeve. <laughs> uh, congratulations on being nominated. How do you find out that you're nominated for something? Did you get a phone call one day and say, hey, guess what? I got an email um, basically saying that I've been nominated for an award and please can I come and pick up my ticket? <laughs> <laughs> and really, that's all the information that I know. Right. I don't really know who nominates me, although the person who nominated me has made themselves known to me now. Okay. But, um, no information, really. So that's how it works. Someone thinks that you have done something a little bit special and they get in touch with, uh, with the awards uh, and, and say, listen, De- we, we think Deborah's a little bit special. She's, she's going above and beyond. Um, look at you being all humble. This is what someone's obviously thought about you. And then they, they kind of write a bit about you and, and it gets assessed and you go up for the nominations. Uh, and the do's tonight, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, what, what kind of work have you been doing? What, 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 do you, what have you done that's got you nominated, do you think? Um, well, I own a community interest company called Nine Red, which does a number of different community projects, one of which is the AVS project, which is Abuse Victim Support. Mm. And it's basically a for us, by us type project where it's all run and implemented by victims of abuse. And so um, what we do is help other people through that to build to a brighter, safer future. Mm. So that has a number of different um, tiers within it. So there's one-on-one counselling and then there's group and family therapy. But I believe what I've been nominated for is the arts part of that, where um, what we do is we use arts as therapy. So we do a various number of different things. Like we have a community festival annually where we use it sort of like a networking event, raise the profile of the AVS project, um, kind of bring in different people who would support our clients to work together in that kind of way. And it's kind of a fun day, you know, Mm. know, there's um, live stage performances and those kinds of things. So we do that. Who comes to you? Is it it kids? Is it adults? Is it it everybody? It's anyone over the age of 13 that we work with. Um, Generally tends to be people who've suffered from sexual violence or rape. Um, Although domestic violence we deal with as well. It generally as well um, tends to be adults who were abused as children who um, never got the 
kind of like services that they needed when they were a child and mm. so have now come forward as an adult as they're having difficulty in their later years and so we kind of work with them um, through that process to help them understand and appreciate what they've been through and, you know and obviously as it's run by victims we'll have an understanding and appreciation of how it's going to affect them in their lives and things. How did you get involved with all this? Why, why did you start all this up? It just kind of happened for me really. I personally was a victim of um, domestic violence and rape and I had um, severe social phobia and I couldn't work outside of the home and basically what I could do was arts. I was a performer, um, I was a writer, I was actually at law school at the time and um, basically I started doing performances and different things along those lines, different artwork like visual artists working with photo mosaics, those kind of things and people just generally can't kept coming to me like mm. to support them and help them and how am I getting through and so we formalised the AVS project out of that um, those kinds of experiences and those people coming together wanting to offer a similar service to mm. other people because it helped them so much so it just kind of evolved naturally rather than actually being a planned process that we actually sat down and thought oh this is what we're going to do now, abuse, of course, is, is in the headlines at the moment with this whole Jimmy Savile thing. And I've, I've desperately been trying to find something positive out of this. And I guess the only positive thing I've been able to find out of this whole horrible mess that we've been reading about is that it has encouraged, it seems that it's encouraged more victims of abuse, not necessarily through Savile, but from any, to come out and kind of, it's brought it to the forefront. I've heard lots of phone-in shows on this station, other stations, uh, where people have phoned up and said, I was abused 10, 20, 30 years ago, and I've never told anyone about it. So I guess, uh, positives as as far as you can go, that's something, isn't it? Um, Yes, I mean, that's kind of like um, the work that we do, Mm. if you see what I mean. Um, I'm vocal, I'm spoken out about my experiences Mm. and that I've picked myself up and that I can carry on. Because I think some people get the image and the view that their life is over, they're not going to do anything and, you know, they're going to tend to drugs or suicide or self-harm or something along Mm. those lines. And what I try to show them is, you know, this is a positive thing that you can do. And I think anything that highlight the kind of profile of abuse and the effects of abuse encourages people to come forward and to be able to speak up and not be judged and know they're not going to be judged Mm. and that people are not necessarily going to dismiss them or they're going to be disbelieved you know it's um created an atmosphere where people can come forward and can open up in a, in a more supportive way than necessarily 10, 15 years ago. One of the things that struck, struck me, uh, I'm surprised by the controversy around, is that the, 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 there is talk possibly of Savile's victims claiming, uh, you know, getting um, uh, the compensation, that's the word. Would, would comp- does compensation... The financial compensation, would that have a positive impact? Is it, can you see... I can only speak personally for yeah, how I feel. I can't speak for anybody else who's had any experiences, but I know for myself that I want a new, fresh, clean, bright, safer future. Mm. Um, someone could compensate me and give me £100,000. If I could then go and buy a house with that £100,000, every time I open my door, I know where the money comes really? from. Really? Really? That's my yeah. personal... That's interesting. That's how I feel. However, I am aware that other people feel like, well, you have things taken away from me. Like, for example, I was at law school. I was very disillusioned. I didn't go down that career. Having money might enable me to do more things with my life. And, mm. you, you know, there's a two-way street. The things that are taken away from you can be given back. But for me, I personally want everything in my life to be clean and free of that, that memory. The awards are tonight. Uh-huh. Uh, you got a fancy frock for it? You gonna dress oh, up? yeah, I'm going to dress up. <laughs> <laughs> Very best of luck. Listen, if people want to find out about your centre and stuff, have you got a website that they can I have, have a, a website, yes. It's um, www.com 
artundefined.com fantastic well listen best of luck thank you very have much have a cracking night tonight <laughs> and um, maybe we'll speak to you next week and find out what happened thank you very much there we go fantastic that's uh, Deborah Knight who uh, helps uh, victims of abuse BBC Three Counties Radio but before that let's get the latest weather with Elizabeth good morning good morning good morning is it going to be miserable today no it's going to be quite nice oh, but God. it will be cold make yeah. sure you're wrapped up nice and warm ok now. let's hear it mm. a very cold start to Sunday Ian Elizabeth thank you very much indeed cold start to Sunday there we go Oh, I do apologise. We don't, we don't want to hear that yet. We want to hear this. Now, too much pressure on schools to get good GCSE grades led to over-generous marking of coursework by teachers. That's according to the Exams Watchdog, which has published its final report on the controversy over this summer's GCSE English exam. Offcall says external examiners had to raise gra- uh, grade boundaries as a result. It says pressure on schools to hit targets was to blame for the debacle. Bedford Borough Council and 10 schools from Beds, Hearts and Bucks are taking legal action over the issue. One of those is uh, Manshead School in Dunstable. Their head teacher, Jim Parker, is with me now. Morning, Jim. Morning. As I say, I always feel uncomfortable when I'm talking to a, a, a teacher. Is there any way? I'm nearly four. Is there any way I can get over that? Uh, no, just oh. relax. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir, I will do. Uh, what was the impact on your school to this, this, this um, GCSE exam situation? Um, the impact on the students of the school has been that uh, we, we're about 41 students have um, not got a C who we expected to get a C. Mm. Um, and obviously that's had quite an impact on, on uh, their future uh, career opportunities. Why have you decided to take legal action? That seems a pretty bold step. Well, we've been through all of the, um, uh, the, the, the procedures that are available to us in terms of what the exam boards will allow us to, uh, to do in terms of appeals. Uh, we have um, written to Ofqual, we've written to uh, our local MP, we've written to um, Mark Vassalian at the uh, Beds, uh, Central Beds Council, who has also uh, campaigned on our behalf too. And we feel that the next step um, has to be that, that we need to seek a, a judicial review on the process that's, that's gone on. And what would you be hoping to get out of it? What would you be your ideal resolution? That the, what, the, the grades get changed? Well, I think, I think there needs to be a recognition that, that something was wrong about this summer's GCSE English results um, and that there should be some kind of apology made to those students who have suffered as a result of it. According to Ofqual, it's your fault. Well, that's that's an interesting viewpoint. When you heard that, how did you react? Um, I wasn't uh, surprised to hear that that was their view, uh, partly because I think Ofqual have have taken a very entrenched position uh, f- from the very beginning. Um, we, we actually had the uh, the chief examiner of of the AQA exam board come into our school to look at the quality of the teachers' marking this year because it was a new syllabus, and he agreed that our marking was spot on. What is what happened, or what's going to happen to the students who needed a C grade to get onto certain courses or into the sixth form? Where, where are they now? Well, those students who didn't get their C in English language but got a C in English literature, uh, which there was there was quite a few who who got that combination, um, have been allowed to start their A level courses at Man's Head Sixth Form. Mm. Uh, those students who had already decided to uh, go to college, some of those students have had to um, uh, change their courses because they are no longer able to do the level three uh, because they don't have their English. We have had some people come on this show uh, that have said GCSEs are too easy. It's, it's too easy. It's a nonsense exam. And the, the plans that the government has to re- reintroduce an O-level style exam in, in the next three or four years, whenever it is, is, is a more sensible way forward. What do you, what do you feel about that? 
Well, I think the, I think the GCSE has run its course, um, and I think it's time. The time is right to to look at alternatives. Um, I'm not sure whether a, a, an O level style exam is is the right solution because there are lots of different students who have different needs and, and different abilities. Uh, and I also have to question the idea of taking exams at 16. Um, more and more of our students now um, are staying on to sixth form. The regulations currently say that all students will have to stay on to employment or training, sorry, um, uh, education or training until the age of 18. Mm. Um, so why do we need to have exams at 16 anyway? And you're speaking my language. I, I was terrible at exams. I'm quite bright, I think. But I'm just... Some people just aren't exam people. The thought of sitting in a hall for an hour and a half, two hours, and answering questions, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And that, that's why GCSEs were so good for me. I was the second year that did them. Uh, because so much of it was assessed throughout the two years. Uh, what, 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 how can you help people? Like the, 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 If they're going to make these exams tougher, what, what, what's going to happen to those people that aren't exam-minded? Well, I'm, I'm not really sure, and that's the thing that worries me mm. as, as the head teacher of a, of a, of a large school. Um, we have lots of students uh, who are uh, uh, quite able to take exam-based courses, and we've got quite a number of students who would be better suited doing something different. And uh, I, I don't think the government have really thought through what those, those different options might be. A final question, Jim. What happens now in your plan, this whole process of taking people to court and things? What's the next step? Well, we're waiting to see whether um, the legal action is going to result in a judicial review, and if that takes place, then uh, I'm not quite sure what the timescales are for that, but there will be a more detailed investigation into uh, the workings of Ofqual and the exam boards in this situation. Jim Parker, a head teacher from Manshead School in Dunstable. Thank you very much for coming in. 08459... Four double five five double five. Speak to you after Wet Wet Wet. Who'd have thought? <laughs> wet Wet Wet. You see, one of one of Justin Dealey's favourite bands. It turns out. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. When do kids know the difference between right and wrong? At what age does that take place? And do you still use cassettes and videos? I'm a big fan of videos and cassettes. I love all that stuff. I, I, it's just it's just better. It's just something physical you can hold. Do you still u- use yours? And coming up in the next hour, either Dick or Dom is coming on. I don't know which one's which. I hope it's the small, cute one. He's my favourite. Is it? Oh. Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's three minutes past seven. It's Friday, the 2nd of November. Lots coming up on the show, including BBC Three Counties investigation into crimes committed by children in Bedfordshire. At what age do you think kids know the difference between right and wrong? As you just heard there, the oldest Vauxhall car is being auctioned off today. Can we find the oldest car in Beds, Hearts and Bucks on the roads? I'll start you off. Mine is six years old. We can do older than that, can't we? Of course we can. And what was the last? when was the last time you used a cassette or a video? 08459 455 555. Isla Jane has tweeted me. Uh, a picture of her video collection. We'll put it up on the Facebook page. Uh, it's got some classic stuff in there. Ulysses, Duckula, The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole. Oh dear, and Red Dwarf. Don't get me started on Red Dwarf. I got into a terrible internet war because I said I didn't like Red Dwarf once. All the abuse I got. Uh, you can email um, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or you can give us a call. 08459 455 555
BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, figures obtained by BBC Three Counties Radio shows that 59 crimes have been committed by children aged 9 and under in Bedfordshire in the last two years. Children under the age of 10 are deemed to not be responsible and are not punishable by law. The crimes include... And these are incredible. A sexual offence by an eight-year-old in Alsey and life-threatening arson attempts by a four- and five-year-old in Luton. This morning we're asking, should we lower the age of criminal responsibility and at what age do kids know right from wrong? 08459 455 555. Professor John Pitts is from the Centre for the Study of Crime at the University of Bedfordshire. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Oh, I don't know the answer to this. At what age do kids know right from wrong? Well, it's an emerging thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you ask a child of three about, is this right, is this wrong, they will know. But I think the issue, that's a slightly different issue from, can they be held criminally responsible? Right. At At what age do you think they could be then? Well, at the moment in this country, um, they're held criminal responsibility at the age of 10. Mm. Um, In Finland, it's 15. In France, I think it's 18. So it varies throughout the world. And the reason that people struggle with the question of the age of criminal responsibility is that obviously children are different. Um, They're concrete thinkers, not abstract thinkers. They're not necessarily aware of the consequences of their actions. But also, they have much lower impulse control. So we, we have, we, we've traditionally, I mean, for the last 200 years anyway, tended to treat children differently for those reasons. Oh, and when does impulse control fully develop? Well, the most recent brain science is suggesting sometime in the mid-twenties. Oh, my God. Although some feminists suggest in men it doesn't really ever happen. Yes. Well, that's worrying if it's mid-twenties. I would have thought it had been fully in place by the time you were mid-teens. Well, it, I mean, again, it's an emergent thing, isn't right. it? And most, the, the, the vast majority of teenagers, uh, you know, teenagers are, are more impetuous. They're, 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 they take greater risks and things like that. We know that from the data on hospital admissions, crime, etc., etc., etc. But the vast majority of kids you know, just sort of managed to do this. But, I, I mean, we, the, the, the children you're concerned about, the, the, the 59 over two years, I mean, I w- my guess would be that in each of those cases where very young children have committed what in an adult would be a grave crime, we have to look beyond the child to look at the family and to look at, you know, where do they... The, the child charged with sexual assault, serious sexual assault, where did they learn that? Mm. What's happening at home? And I think m- most of the cases I'm aware of from when I, I used to work in this field, you know, one would be very concerned about what was happening in the child's family. I think the other thing is... If you do lower the age of criminal responsibility, what do you do? Do you do something different than you would do now? And what you would do now is refer this to children's services who would look at the social and and psychological circumstances of the child. Surely that should be happening to a child of any age, shouldn't it? If if, if we're hearing about this this eight-year-old that's committed sexual uh, abuse or the four- and five-year-old that have uh, committed arson, and I I kind of put that in inverted commas because they're probably not quite aware of what that is, Uh, they should be taken to one side and looked at and spoken to, and the the families should be examined, shouldn't they? Yeah, well, I mean, if we have a youth justice system, and, and the youth justice system, so that deals with children aged between 10 and 18, and it has a very sort of strong welfare element. Mm. So while it may be the case that the child will appear in court, um, following the referral, there'd be an expectation that the workers from the youth offending team would work with, uh, would work with, with the family. And under recent 
recent changes in legislation, um, the question of whether this case will be best dealt with by social work intervention or criminal justice intervention um, has been highlighted, and I think you know, which is sensible because I think you know, just because the child is over 10 doesn't mean that they don't have those problems as you as you say you mentioned uh, the age of responsibility in finland being uh, 16 i think you said 15 15 yeah. Yeah. How, how is it managed over there and, and what impact does it have on youth crime well it's very interesting we did a study of that and um uh, i mean a lot of people in in, in england say well <coughs> look at finland they don't lock up any kids etc et what we discovered was that children under the age of criminal responsibility who did commit what would be offences in the UK, they weren't just ignored, that uh, there was a lot of intervention um, of different types. And what we discovered, contrary to what a lot of people believe, is that pro rata, more youngsters in Finland are removed from home as a result of these behaviours, not necessarily for a long time, but to special centres and treatment centres, than is the case in the UK. So there, the, 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 as it were, the child welfare system kicks in when these grave crimes are committed. Professor John Pitts from the, the Centre for the Study of Crime at University of Bedfordshire, thank you very much. What do you think, dear listener? When do you think kids know? It, it's obviously there are scientific answers and there are psychological answers, but what do you think? 08459 455 555. Jeff is in Farley Hill. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. What, what, what do you think about this? Oh, lots. Go on. Well, I've written saying that criminal responsibility. What is what is criminal responsibility? Well, it means you can go, you can um, get tried for it in a court of law. Okay. So, ages of children. Let's think five, six, ten. When does a child know right from wrong? What is right? What is wrong? God knows. You know. I mean, they come into the world. They have parents. Uh, they're with their parents or they're not with their parents and they grow up, they go to school, they come into society, they see this, they see that, That's they see a television yes. and they look at what's on the television at whatever age. Now there is a control switch on it, but a lot of what is on, personally, whatever is on television is, is it's like a, a two-edged sword, it's got a plus or a minus. And sadly, some of the programmes on the television have a lot of minuses on. The sex, violence and everything else. So, hang on, are you, are you saying that, uh, that, that kids under the age of ten are committed crimes because of, of the telly? Possibly. Possibly. Right? Okay, yes. I'm saying possibly. Possibly. Because we've got to think of ages. You can think of teenagers. But if we're talking about the criminal age of responsibility being ten... Okay, in this yeah. country, in this law, and laws have been passed that you shouldn't smack your children. I did speak to the lady earlier on that um, I was sort of talking to myself, whatever, huh? that some of these children need a good smack on the backside. You, but, but hang on a second, you're saying that there, there is violence on the television, then you're suggesting you give the kids a slap. Listen, listen, when I was a child, right, yeah. I don't know your age, Sometimes I get a good idea, right? Whatever. Right. But invariably I got threatened with the belt, but I didn't get it, right? right. A strong word will turn against, will turn away wrath, right? But a strong word doesn't always work. Now, some of the children in our society, yes. they're orphaned, right? They may not be with their parents. So where do you go from there? But hang on, you're, you're, you're bouncing all over the place like a, pin, a, a pinball machine. So you're, you're suggesting that to stop kids being violent, we deal with them using 
violence. No, I'm not saying Well, that. you talk about the belts. Hang on, hang on a minute. No, hang on, I'm just clarifying, Jeff. Calm, calm down, don't, go, don't get excited. There are you ages, are... I don't know your age, the society that we live in today is yes. a bit different from the society know, we live so in. So are 20... you saying we should hit kids, yes or no? Possibly. Okay. And how is how is a big person hitting a tiny person going to stop kids no, being violent? No, that won't. What you're saying is that con- to control the violence that the kids are indulging in, yeah. we're violent towards them. No. That seems contradictory no, to I'm me. Not. No, I'm not. Well, what are you saying, Jeff? I'm not saying that. I'm saying... Hang on, let me think. Let's, let's backtrack. <laughs> Hang on, if you're getting confused, how am I supposed back, to follow let's it? backtrack. <laughs> okay, very quickly, because we're running out of time. Let's backtrack to throwing concrete over the motorway. Very quickly, you've got 30 seconds, Jeff. That is wrong. Yes. And the children should know it's wrong, and something yes. should be done about of it. Of course it should. Jeff, listen, we've got to move on there. I think we're all getting a little bit confused. Thank you very much indeed. Across beds, hearts and barks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Cassettes and videotapes. Well, my producer, Laura, found a brilliant letter in the, uh, the Telegraph today. Sir, from Philip Duckling, Bognor Regis. Sir, I read recently in my local paper, the Bognor Regis Observer, of the theft of some cassette tapes from a car. This begs two questions. Who still has cassettes in their car, and who would want to steal them? I love cassettes. When I bought my last car... I was so disappointed it didn't have a tape player. And I said, is there any chance we could get a... No, I'm sorry, sir, we don't, we don't do those anymore. So when did you last use cassettes or videos? Mike's in Bedford. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, I still use cassettes on a regular basis every day. Every day? Yeah, I often have to record Jonathan's consumer programme. Just because you can't believe he gets away with that nonsense. Well, there's so many interesting things, isn't there? Um, there are about 300 of mainly... My own recordings of mainly BBC programmes. Have you got 300 tapes of Jonathan Vernon-Smith? So I've probably got 600 programmes. Wow. That I've recorded over the years. And, oh. Mike, are you, are you like me? Because with, with, with cassettes, not so much nowadays, but I'm a hoarder, and yes. I can't get rid of anything. I've got, I've got tape. I'm now 60, and I've got cassettes going back to 30 years plus. You know what I mean? Of BBC shows? Of lots of BBC. Yeah, it's mainly the common stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, Jonathan Vernon-Smith. <laughs> no, I have... Did you ever hear of the Earn and Vern show? Uh, yes, yes. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Filth. Well, this is, this is a show that JVS used to do years ago, and he's told me about it. It sounds disgusting. The other day I was going through playing some old ones and trying to work out what I'd gotten, and I found a 15-minute snatch of it, and Ooh. it really made me smile. Well, that, back the years. That's good to know. Listen, Mike, thank you very much for that. I think it is, a, it, again, it's another bloke thing. We like to hoard these cassettes, very rarely. Only in the direst of emergencies could I put a bit of sellotape over the, the, the popped-out tab to, to record on it again. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Talking about cassettes and, and videos and all these kind of things, a bit, all, all prompted by Mr Philip Duckling, who wrote a, a very a, a good letter to the Telegraph about uh, some cassettes that have been stolen. Uh, and it kind of got us thinking here, does anyone still use cassettes? I love them, I miss them. I've got a big box full of them. I've still got a really, a really nice hi-fi system. Right? When I first got my, job, my first job on TV, the, second thing, the first thing I bought was an N64. Don't ask. The second thing I bought was a really nice stacking stereo system. You should see my nads. It's a fantastic, wonderful system with the tape-to-tape. Really good. Uh, and I do get the tapes out from time to time. I also buy tapes on eBay because they're really cheap. No one else buys them. Well, anyway, we sent out BBC Three Counties reporter Justin Dealey to loosen this morning, trying to find people who still have cassettes. Now, Lee, Ian back in the studio says that he still listens to cassettes. Is he absolutely barking mad? What do you think? He's totally mad. I mean, <laughs> I can't believe that. <laughs> you can't even buy cassettes no more. Just, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm gobsmacked. So when was the last time you played a cassette? Can you remember? 
at least 20 years ago. And what was it? What was it? Yeah, see, mine was wet, 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 pops in, sold out, which is very what, embarrassing. I think my first cassette I bought was um, Squeeze, Call for Cats, maybe. Oh, good tasting music. Yeah. In saying that, though, you did buy a BMW which had a cassette player, but you couldn't use it because you had no cassettes. No, that's right, so I just <laughs> had to listen to the radio. <laughs> Uh, and talking about dumb criminals, is this the dumbest criminal ever? Somebody who is stealing cassettes? He's brainless, isn't he? Can't understand that at all because he's not being able to sell them, is he? He's probably just steal them and just bin them. <laughs> How did you sell yours? A uh, car boot. Mm. Yeah. What did you get for them? Five? Probably about 10p each. <laughs> Give them away. <laughs> now, Stephen, you've got this fascinating story. You went to play a cassette last week, but sadly it didn't work. What was on that cassette? Uh, I was prophesied over from a lady from, from Canada. Her name is Isabella Allen. Um, she came all over from Canada to Luton and stayed in our church until gone one o'clock in the morning. And she prophesied over everyone in the church. And she prophesied over me. Now, on there is, is, is basically um, what the Lord is saying he's going to do for me and what I've got ahead of me. Right. And um, unfortunately, I went to listen to the tape the other day and it would not work. So we uh, tried another tape player. What is ahead of you, by the way? A big plan from God. He says that I'm going to go out there and evangelise people and get people saved. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a people person. She prophesied. Well, the, the pro- what she prophesied has come true, because he's done a little bit of the evangelism. There. I love the cassettes. I love it. You give a cassette tape and a pencil to anyone under the age of 25, they will look at you and go, Huh? What? What if I do that? Uh, I, I do love... Do you remember the Kassingle? The Kassingle? <laughs> yeah, I know. They're about pound twenty-nine. The Kassingle. It was a, a single on tape. How pointless was that? I had someone um, on Facebook. Let me see if I can find this, because there was a great comment on Facebook from somebody. If you go to facebook.com forward slash uh, BBC3CR, you can join in the conversation there. Uh, Andy says, I still use cassettes, uh, mainly in the car, and still make a new mixtape every couple of months. The romance of the mixtape has gone. We've still got a video connected to the Freeview box for when stuff clashes. Oh, I used to love making the mixtape. Terence is in Welling. Morning, Terence. Good morning, sir. Good morning to you, sir. Do you still use the cassette? Oh, very much so. I've got uh, t- about 200 old movies on video cassette. Oh, really? Classics. I've been collecting them for about 20 years. Um, was it a lot of them uh, I bought? A lot of them I took off off, off television. Yep. You know, with with a VCR, and uh, they are stored lovingly and uh, tenderly in my in my cupboard. Now, my wife would say, "Come on, there, you've got too many of those. They're massive. Get rid of them and buy them on DVD." I, d- I would, but I mean, th- I, I use them because I lecture on film. Oh. Uh, and. Uh, I can make up uh, lectures uh, using video cassette because with video cassette you can um, choose the segment, you know, the the excerpt you want. Yes. Accurately, you can fade in with a, and fade out with a little little uh, gadget, a gizmo that uh, Westhouse College knocked up for me. Terence, you could do that on DVD. You can fade in and out and choose the bit, and it'll be better quality and probably quicker. Uh, you probably can, but I've been working with them for a long time. I've got a lot of prepared stuff on uh, on video. Yeah. I've also, con- of course, I've, co- I've transferred them to DVD. Oh. When I finish the actual lecture, so I don't have to go around with a, with a, with a, with a, a VCR. Yeah. Um, I've just done a ten-week uh, series of lectures on Ealing Studios. Oh, fantastic! Well, where do you do these lectures, Terence? I do them all around the place. I do them for the sort of University of the Third Age. There are oh. various uh, film groups that I, I talk to, um, and uh, as I say, I've, just, I've got twenty-six films, Ealing 
studio films on video cassette. Uh, and I can I can I can change the lecture any time I want. I I, I, I use the equipment. I, I use it. I mean, I use it very right all the time. I want to come. I want to come to one of these lectures, Terence. I, I would I would sit through a lecture on Ealing Studios. Yeah, it was very it was very popular. We had a full attendance for the whole for the whole ten weeks. When are what, what's the best film of all time then, Terence? If you're such an expert. Uh, I mean, I, I get invited by various groups. I did a, I did one actually uh, in Luton. Yes. Um, on Trevor Howard because I did a biography of Trevor. Oh, Trevor Howard, who's absolutely bonkers, wasn't he? Uh, he was a great guy. <laughs> great guy, yes. Yeah. So, it's a Henry at Rawlinson's end. What a film! Ah, uh, that was a gr- that, yeah. That was made at Nebworth House. And right. I was actually interviewing around about the time he was making that. Wow. For some lovely, lovely lines. Well, I, the lines lovely. of dialogue in Sir Henry. We could we could talk for ten minutes on that. Yes. Uh, Trevor so, loved. Did, did you? So you did, did you write a biography on Trevor Howard? I did. Well, what's it called? It's called Trevor Howard: A Personal Biography. I, I'm digging this out, and it was it was published before he died, was it? Uh, it was pr- published by Peter Owen about uh, about ten years ago. Terence, listen, thank you so much for calling. I wish we had more time because it's absolutely fascinating. Oh, well, okay, nice to talk to you anyway. Thank you, Terence. Wasn't that brilliant? Isn't that great? This is one of the joys of doing a show like this. You throw out a, a silly thing about cassettes, then you get Terence calling in, who give lex- gives lectures. On films, he interviewed Trevor Howard. You didn't know who Trevor Howard is, kids. Shame on you. Brief Encounter. Brief Encounter, one of the greatest films of all time. What a movie. Sunday afternoon, on a rainy Sunday afternoon, get Brief Encounter, download it on your Xbox or your Netflix or whatever it's called, and watch that. Wonderful. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm terribly, terribly sorry. I have something in my eye. Brief Encounter. What a... It's such a good film. Now, as you've been hearing in the news, police investigating sexual abuse allegations against Jimmy Savile and others arrested the comedian Freddie Start last night on suspicion of sex offences. He was released on bail in the early hours this morning. Freddie Starr has denied any wrongdoing. We can get the latest now from our reporter, Gavin Lee. Gavin, this has been the second arrest as part of what's been called Operation U-Tree yeah. uh, into Jimmy Savile and others. What, what are the police saying? Well, the Met Police, who, um, of course, are involved in Operation U-Tree, the whole investigation from the, the 60s, late 60s, 70s onwards into Jimmy Savile and others, uh, have not given, as is custom, any details of names. have said a man in his 60s was arrested at quarter to six in the evening yesterday in Warwickshire, uh, questioned through uh, at a local police station through the night up until about one o'clock, 1.30. Um, Freddie Starr, whose real name is Fred Fowl, came out of the police station. He, while he was being questioned, there was a huge police presence at his home. There uniformed officers manning the gates. Reporters were watching as detectives were seen searching through and taking items from his garage, bagging them up, moving them away. And you mentioned it's a second person, Gary Glitter being the first, of course, Paul Gadd, his real name. He was arrested at the weekend. We know that he will be spoken to by police again in December, but we've no idea how long the police bail will be for for Freddie Starr. What's known about the allegation made against Freddie Starr? Well, quite a bit, because it was made very publicly by Karen Ward. Now, Karen Ward was one of the very first to come forward with allegations against Savile, Gary Glitter and Freddie Starr. She spoke to the now-controversial Newsnight programme that didn't go out, um, and she came forward with this information which has since been seen on the Panorama programme, which is, was looking into the Newsnight programme, why it didn't go out, and there's a separate investigation looking into whether a management was sat on because of a tribute programme, which Newsnight staff deny, uh, Newsnight management, should I say, have, have denied. Uh, but this is, is relating to the seven 
1974, Karen Ward was 14 years old. She took part in a programme called Clunk Click, hosted by Jimmy Savile. She was seen on TV footage uh, sitting close to Freddie Starr and says afterwards that he groped her. Uh, he's denied it numerous times. He spoke to the BBC last weekend, and you may have seen this, but he said that he's very keen to talk to the police. He wants to clear his name from any allegations, and he called Jimmy Savile an animal and claims himself he knows what it's like to be abused because he was abused, he said, as an eight-year-old boy by an older relative. Well, the, the, the Daily Mail have, have struck gold with a photograph that they've... I don't know if you've seen the photograph they've got of Freddie Stark dressed as Jimmy Savile. It just ticks all the boxes. Yeah. Uh, today. Yeah. Can you bring us up to date, Gavin, with any other developments in the case? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting as well, there's a quick point on the, the tabloids with pictures, because there are, I guess, there's so many pictures that look different today in, in the cold light of day mm. now and, and more chilling. Uh, one of them, Helen Bowden, of course, a BBC staff head of news who was um, is being looked at herself and her role in the, the Newsnight inquiry being being dropped. A, a senior management member being photoed in a few years ago at an awards next to Jimmy Savile mm. with his arm round her. And again, it's, it, it adds to that sort of story narrative from, from the tabloids, doesn't it? But yeah. yeah, I can tell you that since yesterday we spoke about Jimmy's, Jimmy Savile's assets being frozen, four million because of claims against that estate by alleged victims, one of those victims has said through lawyers that the claim is also being made against the BBC. And off that Newsnight inquiry into why the, the story was um, held and not didn't go out. The former head of Sky News, Nick Pollard, has spoken about this inquiry. He said last night that interviewees will be able to speak to him on a voluntary basis. There'll be no con compulsory um, tendencies to do so. Lawyers can be there if they want, and it will be carried out pretty quickly. There's likely to be a report on the, the news night, what went wrong, by the end of this month. Gavin Lee, thank you very much. Call 08459-455-555-BBC-3CountiesRadio-Later-on-you'll-get-to-hear-me-and-Jonathan-Vernon-Smith-out-and-about-shooting-guns-here's-a-little-teaser-of-what-it-sounded-like-Are-you-ready?
the world's oldest surviving Vauxhall goes under the hammer at auction today. The two-seater car was built in 1903 for the Luton-based company's managing director. This morning, Justin is at the Vauxhall Heritage Centre in Luton, home to over 70 classic cars from Vauxhall's history. You having fun there, Justin? Oh, Ian, am I having fun? This is unbelievable, <laughs> this place. I like a sleazy <laughs> way you said that. It was almost borderline sexual. No, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Is it good? It's, it's not open to the public, but um, it is twice a year for open days. Right. It is just incredible. So much history, and of course, all that history is local. Joining me live here is Simon Hucknell. Simon, welcome to the programme. I've been talking this morning about this car, which is up for auction today. You won't be bidding yourselves. Tell us why. Well, we actually have a, a 1903 car ourselves, so there's not really a lot of point in buying uh, a, a second car. Um, there are only two 1903 Vauxhall surviving, ours and the one that's being bid for at, uh, at Bonhams. So the one behind us is the one that you've got. Um, just try and describe this to our listeners. Okay, it's uh, it's quite a unique car. Um, it doesn't have a, a steering wheel. It has a, it's, it's steered by a tiller, like you would have in a boat. Uh, it's around about eight foot long and about five foot wide. It has a single cylinder, um, four stroke. Um, one litre engine uh, and it can achieve around about 25 miles an hour uh, and remarkably to about 38 mpg as well yeah <laughs> so what's that one worth then i would say it's probably in the same ballpark as uh, as the car that's uh, being auctioned today so i think the estimate for the bonhams car is around about 60 to 80 thousand yeah. our car is going to be in that region as well and it looks very much like ian lee's car actually back in the studios at three counties radio which i mentioned when i first came in this morning but 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 so much history here just how important is this history to the people of Luton? Well, I think it's massively important. I mean, Vauxhall has been um, in Luton since 1905. We, we started off in London in, uh, in 1903, so we're celebrating 110 years uh, in 2013. Um, we've been here 108 years. It's massively important. This, this collection really embraces everything that has been produced at Luton over the last 108 years. Um, and we have everything from this, this unique 1903 car to some very, very, um, other very important cars in, in our collection as well. Now, Ian, would you like to hear a 1903 horn? Would you be up for that? Oh, I love an old horn, yes, yes okay, definitely. So here we go. Uh, let's have a listen to a 1903 horn. Hey, that's not bad, yeah, is that's it? That's not bad. Also, the klaxon. We've got a klaxon on this vehicle as well. Take a listen to this. Oh, that sounds like my cat being sick. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a pleasant noise at all, all is it? All that history from this 1903 vehicle. Listen, my favourite old cars mm. are the cars you see in Laurel and Hardy, where they have the, the, the crank handle at the front, where you have yeah. to get out and put the handle in and turn it. Do, the, do they have those? Well, do you know what? The, this car we're looking at right now is practically identical. What I'm going to do, I'm going to take a photograph Brilliant. of this car from 1903. I'm going to post that onto the website here, um, so people can have a look, the Three Counties website, also the Three Counties Facebook page. And Ian, you've been talking about cassette players this morning. Yes. You still collect cassettes. Well, here's a question for Simon. All these voxels here, so many here throughout the, the decades, of course. Which was the first voxel to have a cassette player? Can you remember? Well, I guess I would say that it was uh, the Cavalier Mark I, uh, which uh, launched around 1976, so it's actually uh, the car just over there. Um, and before that we would have had 8-track car, 8-track uh, oh, uh, players in our car wow. from the late 60s, but uh, cassettes would have been mid-70s, I would say. Egan's getting very excited back in the studio. We did, in my, in a car that my dad had, it, mm. we, we were so old and poor, it didn't have a cassette player in, so I would take my little cassette player, and my dad strapped it in, sort of, uh, around by the gear stick, and we would just play cassettes on that. Oh. Keith Moon had a record player in his car. Oh, that can't be true, surely. Honestly, a record player yeah, in a car. He, he would play records in the car. How, it was under Hang the bonnet or something. Simon's nodding here. You, you, you're nodding. Tell us more. 
Well, I don't think we did anything like that over here in the UK, but certainly our, our parent company, General Motors, in the States, did produce cars in the 50s that had uh, actually had record players that would pop out of the centre console. You could actually be playing Five Star's greatest hits whilst driving through Bedfordshire. Exactly. How amazing is that? And just lastly, Brilliant. Simon, out of all these cars here, which one is your personal favourite? My personal favourite is, is actually the car that's uh, in, in, the, in the museum at the moment. It's, it's uh, the 1910 C10 Prince Henry, which is officially... Uh, the world's first sports car. Oh, well, I've forgotten about this. Uh, this weekend, it's the London to Brighton Veteran Car Run, isn't it? You're taking part. Yes, we're actually taking uh, the sister car to the 1903, the 1904 car, um, and uh, so that'll be doing the run from London to Brighton. The 1903 car that we have here has actually taken part 11 times. We'll be giving it a rest this year. Amazing stuff, Simon. We really appreciate your time. It's um, it's a dream job, I presume, so thank you so much. Thank you, Justin. Brilliant stuff. There you go. Simon Hucknall from Vauxhall joining us live here at the Heritage Centre. We should try and get some dates for the next open day down here. I'll take those photographs, put those on the Facebook page, but it is a great place. You heard there from Simon, they won't be bidding for that car because they've got practically an identical one from 1903, which is just incredible. Justin, thank you very much. Excellent stuff as always. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. He's a good lad. He does a good job. He'll go far. Uh, Cassettes, do you still use them? Audio cassettes, video cassettes... They are out of vogue, but there's something there's something great, isn't there, about having a box of tapes? It's just that, not that rattle they make. Or getting a video, pulling it out of the case. Do you remember in the 80s, there was a horrible trend, uh, and I always, my mum always sneered at these people uh, for being common, of you could buy these plastic video cases that looked like old books, looked like encyclopedias or something, and they were supposed to be a bit posh, and they were, they were dead common. They weren't pleasant at all. Jane is in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Jane. Morning, Ian. Do you you s- right? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Do you still use tapes and videos and things? I do, Ian, yes. I've got loads of uh, videos and uh, cassettes. Do, and do, do you not have a DVD player? Do you not have I Netflix? I have a DVD player, yes, but I had it all set... When I got my new telly, I had it all set up for um, the videos as well. I like to record downstairs and then take a, a physically take a video upstairs and watch a film. You've just reminded me, actually, when we got our big posh um, flat-screen telly a few yep. years ago, about four years ago, yep. uh, I tried to connect the video player to it, and it, it wouldn't work. It, but it does work. You need another... I, um, my, I record from my sky to the video. Oh. Oh, blimey. Yeah, I had, all the, I had it all set up properly. It cost me about 50 quid, but it was well worth it. So what kind of, st- what kind of stuff <laughs> do you take? What have you got on tape that you've kept forever and ever? <laughs> I've got the Queen Mother's funeral. Oh, you're a laugh, aren't you? <laughs> Imagine going round to James and Milton Keynes for supper. Oh, we, we've just had a meal. <laughs> Who wants to watch the Queen Mum's funeral? I've got it on tape. I'm Princess Diana's. The funeral? Yes. Oh, fuck. <laughs> when was the last time you um, had a, a, a royal death day and put on both funerals? Do, um, do you watch them at all? About a year ago, somebody asked me to put them on, so I did. It's amazing, and when you say it, you know, it's not such a conversation stopper as you think it's going <laughs> Shouldn't to laugh. be. <laughs> Shouldn't laugh. She was our, she was our princess. I know. Well, so what, what they said, oh, you've got Diana's funeral. Do you, do you want to put it on? Go on. Did yeah. She, you did. Well, the, well, yes, because we wanted to see the difference in the the, the, the height of the princes, you know, the yeah. grown so much. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I nearly love this. Night. Sorry, you watched, the, you watched, let me get this right. You watched the video of Princess Diana's wedding, uh, the, sorry, funeral. Princess Diana's funeral. You yeah. watched the, the video of Princess Diana's funeral because you want to see the difference in heights of the princes. Yes, how they've grown up. You are a very strange, <laughs> strange woman, Jane. But, so it's been said. And, 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 and how, how much had they grown up since their poor oh. 
quite past. a lot. Yeah, yeah quite a lot. They've changed quite a bit. Yeah, I bet. Uh, Jane, <laughs> th- what a marvellous call. Thank you so much. No problem. <laughs> That's wonderful. I tell you the thing I miss, and they should introduce... If they brought out a DVD player that had this feature, I would buy it. Tracking. I miss the tracking. And they got rid of that towards the end of the video. Remember the tracking? If the picture was a bit dodgy, you'd go and just turn a little knob to try and get the tracking right. I miss all that. Susie's in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Susie. Hello, darling. How are you? I'm very well, my love. How how are you, dear? I'm fine. Good girl, good girl. Now, uh, cassettes. Are you a big fan of cassettes? Oh, brilliant. I've got so many. I was so disappointed when the CDs came out. Really? Did you have a little cry? And, oh, God, I cried myself to sleep, oh. to be honest. Oh, dear. I'm no good with um, technical things, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, you still... you. S- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was cheeky. So you st- oh, cheeky. Steady. So, is that your real voice? Yeah. Brilliant. So, you, uh, you've still got lots of cassettes. You get the, do, do you get them out from the libraries and things? Yeah, and I actually tape them and take them back. Whoa, whoa, hang on a second, Susie. I cannot... Co- keep music live. I cannot condone audio piracy that you're doing there. You're worse than all these bit torrents and file-sharing things. You are. Oh, that don't matter. It's, it's all right. I still get them. I do, I, my libraries... <laughs> the, the libraries that I go to still... They, they don't have cassettes anymore. Yeah, some of them do. Really? Not very many, yeah. but some of them do. Right, well, and sometimes I get CDs out from the library. Yes. And, t- like, do CD to cassette. No, you, Susie, you can't do that. That's naughty. We don't condone that. Now. No, that's all right. No, it's not all right. It Wait, is. What was the last cassette that you played? Um, I think it was the one when my little boy was three. Yeah. And he's now 34. Oh, the, oh, that's a video, is it? No, that's a cassette with oh. me te- teaching him like ABC oh. and singing on the bus. The wheels go round and round. Carry on. And that was it, basically. Here's a, here's a question for you. This is a parent question. What does the driver on the bus do? The, uh, I can't remember. There's different um, versions. There's different versions. Have a think. What does the driver on the yeah. bus do? The driver on the bus goes... La-dee-da-dee-da. He doesn't get the drug with the I can't remember. I, in my, the version I know, it's the driver on the bus says, sit down, please, sit down, please, sit, sit down, please. Down, please. That's the version well, I know. Uh, oh, right. What, and then all right, what, what do the daddies on the bus do? The daddies on the bus go, sit down, kids. No, that's, the, the, that's what the driver does. Why are the driver oh, and yeah. the dad both giving the same advice? Oh, well, probably. I can't remember. But I remember the bit where the bus goes, the wheels on the bus go round, down, round, round, down, round, round, down, round. The wheels on the bus go round, down, round. You've got to finish it off. <laughs> and that's the end of that, Ian. Thank you very much. Absolutely bonkers. What great calls you've had this morning. Susie, thank you so much. Irene's in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Irene. Good morning. Uh, uh, wasn't she a delight? <laughs> do you do, do you know what the daddies on the bus do? No, I don't know that one. OK, well, if anyone wants to I've phone up and tell it, us... I've heard it, I don't know it. If anyone well. wants to phone up and tell us what the daddies on the bus say, 08459 555 Irene, are you a fan of cassettes? Yeah, I've got a box of, set of cassettes. Some of them never been used. Oh, really? I used to be a real pop 
um, concert thing and I went to loads of concerts and I love my music. What kind of pop concerts did you go to, Irene? Uh, well, you can name it. Uh, I've been Michael Jackson three times. Oh, really? Queen twice. Um... Uh, Jean Pitney, huh. uh, Frankie Lane, uh, everybody that came in. Oh, and the Beatles. Oh, um, the Beatles. Yeah, but, um, yeah, they were fine, but I, I liked some others better. <laughs> oh, I went to Billy Fury. <laughs> the Beatles, they were fine, but oh, Billy Fury, he was good, wasn't he? There are yeah. kids now going, but Billy Fury, where was uh, the blooming like Gene Pitney? What are you talking about? But oh, classics. they were fabulous. They were really fabulous. What was the last? When was Leo the last? Sayer. Well, hang on um, a second. Four tops. Right. The stylistic. Yes. What was the last cassette that you played, Irene? Last cassette um, was Queen. There we go, Irene Milton King. Thank you very much indeed. What do the daddies on the bus do? And Catherine Boyle, it's not nod, nod, nod. It's better than that. Referrals to a privately run surgery next to the Lister Hospital in Stevenage have been stopped following the deaths of two patients. The surgery centre will not be taking referrals for joint and eye surgery as an NHS investigation is carried out. In May, 87-year-old Antonietta Mancy went to the Clinic Centre-owned unit for a routine knee operation but died four days later. Our reporter Sophie Soleri has been speaking to her brother Michael at his home in Hitchin. Antonietta was a very kind person. She spent a lot of her time doing embroidery. We've got this one here. That's a floral tribute. I must have had about 15 of these, and I've distributed them to my cousin. She liked flowers, did she? She liked flowers. She was a wonderful gardener. I used to make sure she was taken to church, taken to the club, collected. She knew that she only had to ring me and I'd be there. She was my life. Why did she go into hospital in the first place? She she went into hospital because she had uh, an arthritic knee and uh, the pain was so excruciating, towards the end she could hardly walk. The hospital operated on her, replaced the knee joint. Uh, For the first two days she was getting on very well. So that went according to plan? That went according to plan and the surgeon made a fantastic job. uh, On the Thursday I noticed her speech was a little bit slurred and she mentioned to me that uh, she wasn't passing any water. So to make this clear, from your recollection you can't remember the hospital ever giving her any fluid? No, there was no drip at the side of her bed at all. I can vouch for that. She was coming out on the Friday, so I rang up the hospital more or less to make arrangements to bring her home. Next thing, I get a telephone call, come straight away because she's in intensive care. I managed to kiss her for the last time, and the last word she said to me is, have you had your dinner? (laughs) Which I said yes. So what are the hospitals saying she died of? The hospital says on the... uh, That's the death certificate, is it? Bronchopneumonia. Total knee replacement and acute acute kidney injury. You don't believe this? Well, I believe she had acute kidney injury because she wasn't hydrated. If they had monitored her, she'd still be here today. So you think the hospital was negligent? Yes, I think so, yes. And have you asked for a report or an inquest? The coroner said there wouldn't be an inquest and I left it at that because I thought if I started to protest it would be quite fallacious and uh, I'd get nowhere. I would like to see all the documentation, how much drug she was given, how much fluid she was given and lots of other things. 
Are you going to fight for this? What are you going to do? I don't think there's much point. Michael, you were Anita's sole carer. Yes. How does life feel without her now? Life is very, very sad because uh, I'm by myself. I find the week, the week's drag, and now there's lots of things, nice things that have happened in the family that I can't tell her. I mean, uh, had she had not had this knee, needed this knee surgery, she would have gone on for another three, four, five years quite easily. Uh, NHS Hertfordshire says that the decision to suspend referrals for orthopaedic and ophthalmology patients was uh, for a temporary period. It comes as part of the ongoing intensive monitoring <coughs> excuse me, of the management of services at the clinic centre owned unit. Its director Mike Hobbs says that the temporary suspension was not a reflection of their clinical standards. He had added in Antonietta Mancy's case she was transferred from the Lister Surgery Centre to the Lister Hospital following her operation where she died of complications associated with pneumonia. They're working closely with NHS colleagues to carry out the full investigation into her death. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, it's FA Cup weekend, and come Saturday at five o'clock, could one of our local teams be celebrating a giant killing? Bedfordshire non-league side Arlsey Town take on the 1987 winners' commentary in the 32,500-seater Rico Arena. Arlsey will attempt to go one better than last year and reach the second round for the first time in the club's history. Dave Galbraith plays for Arlsey, and he's with me in the studio. Morning, Dave. Morning. How are you feeling? You all right? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. What an exciting weekend for you lot. Oh, brilliant. It's massive. Could you believe it when you that you've got that you've got this far um it's it is quite unbelievable really for the club and um but the, the work that's put in by everyone involved at the club i yeah. mean it's it's what we deserve really i think yeah. uh th- it's it's uh, the tie that has really captured the public interest uh, hasn't it what's it what have the team been like what have they been talking about um obviously the opportunity to play a, a premier league standard stadium i mean a lot of the players are uh, are quite excited about that and the other, the other plus side for us is Coventry are, aren't actually doing that well in their league at the moment. Right. So it's um, it's an opportunity for us to go there and, and, and perhaps have a chance. And they've, they've got previous of getting beaten. 1989, I'm looking at my facts here, I don't know these details. 1989, Coventry beaten by non-league Sutton United. So there's a, there's a real chance, isn't there? Yeah, I think w- with the FA Cup there's always a chance. Um, I mean, every, every year you see a non-league team go at that little bit further. Um, and we're we're in the mix, so um, there's no reason why Aussie can't do that this year. Uh, a win would, of course, would be excellent. A draw wouldn't be bad, would it? Because then they'd have to come come to you. Yeah, a, a, a draw. We'd, I'm sure we'd take a draw. <laughs> um, obviously, we we want to go there and, and win the game. And at the same time, we're not we're not we're not stupid. We know that obviously Coventry are going to have a lot of quality, but we've got to go there and expect to sort of perform and have an opportunity to beat Coventry. Now, of course, it's a small club you play for. You're not on these like quarter of a million pounds a week kind of deals. You've got a proper job, haven't you? Yeah, I've got a job. What, yeah. do, you, what do you do in the, in, in the real world? Um, I work in care for a care company called uh, One Step at a Time. And what kind, so what kind of stuff is that? What, what? Uh, it's a supported living company. So we right. offer support with people um, who have learning disabilities and, and um, other care needs. And do you get to, uh, in that job, do you, are you, is it kind of hands-on? Do you get to meet the clients and things? Or are you um, more in the office? I've worked, yeah, I'm more in the office now, but right. I've, I started off at a project worker level where it's hands-on yeah. supporting people so what does everyone at work say when you say yeah, I'm, I'm off uh, off to Coventry at the weekend um, and play I don't really FA talk Cup. about football at work too much so they don't, really they don't, they don't really know so your um, work don't know not not really no I'm a bit I'm a bit reserved when it comes to football I think well what are you gonna be like on Monday if you, if you win 
I'll probably they'll know them, won't they? Yeah, they'll know. They'll, <laughs> they'll probably know today because uh, I'm on call over the weekend. So, oh, hang on a second. You couldn't get a call Saturday afternoon, could you? So we need you. you can, can you come down, Dave? It'll be sorted out. Yeah. Because you have your pager on the pitch. Make arrangements. Yeah. Uh, how has training been stepped up for you, for you lot? Yeah, I mean, uh, everyone's trying to do as much as they can. I mean, Gary and Zima have got, had us in, uh, I think the lads have been six days out of seven by Saturday. Um, Wednesday we watch videos of Coventry, and they're running it as professionally as they can to their means. Yeah. Um, so um, we would have prefer- prepared for this game as a professional club would have. Right. Um, and it's credit to the people that are sort of involved. As I said, Zima, Zima's a good manager for that level. Yeah. Um, he knows what he's doing. He's played at the highest level, along with with Nathan Abbey, who's pl- also played at a good level. And uh, and Gary's commitment to the club is is second to none. Saturday night, win, lose or draw, it's going to be an amazing day. I hope you win. Have you, what have you got planned for Saturday night? Um, a short trip to Birmingham. <laughs> um, so uh, the lads, uh, the lads of uh, it's ideal. Um, like I say, win, lose or draw, the experience is going to be massive for the boys. Yeah. Um, Worst case scenario, we can go there and show people what Aussie are all about. Yeah. Um, a lot of work rate. Um, try and play some football. And if we get a r- result out of it, it's going to be a bonus. And you've got a little bit of an injury. Uh, how, how are you feeling? You're going to be okay for Saturday? What's the- Hopefully. I've been working hard this week. Yeah. Um, I picked up an injury a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I'm doing all, my, all I can. I've been in the gym five days out of five so yeah. far. So hopefully I can get ready and prepare for the game. Um, but if I'm not involved, then I'll do what I can for the lads that are involved. And that's the sort of team spirit we've got at Aussie. Um, everyone's in it together um, from top to bottom. Yeah. So. And have you got family going? Are your mum and dad, if they're still around, but are they going? Have you got people coming along to Because keep- I'm not sure if I'm playing. I spoke to right. a few people, but they, they said that sort of obviously if I was playing, they'd be there. But Hang on a minute. Sure. So they're not sure if they're going to come down? No, they don't know. Plus, I, I don't know. Other commitments. David, other commitments. I'm, I'm impressed at how humble you're being about all of this. I yeah. swear to God, if I had w- w- did something anywhere near as impressive as this, everyone would... Th- th- <laughs> those lot in there would know about it. Shout and scream it from the rooftop. Oh, listen, have a fantastic day. Brilliant. Uh, best of luck. I hope you win. I don't know a lot about football, but I think I got through that. What are you doing? 442 Christmas tree? What's, what's the plan? Yeah, that'd be on Zima on the day. I've got no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's just things I've heard from my friend Steve. Uh, Dave Galbraith, thank you very much for coming in. Best of luck. Uh, that's Dave there. He plays for Alzi. They'll be playing Coventry in the FA Cup at the weekend. Wouldn't that be exciting? Hey, that'll be fun. Hey, professional footballers with your Rolls Royces and your million pounds a week, have a chat with Dave Galbraith. What a nice down-to-earth bloke he was. What a nice bloke. That's what you need, footballers. Morning. I'm having fun this morning. Hope you are as well. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. In a bit you can hear uh, what happened when Jonathan Vernon Smith and myself went shooting yesterday. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Um, but coming up, slightly more importantly in the next hour of the show, at what age do you think children know the difference between right and wrong? An investigation by this programme finds that 59 crimes have been committed by kids aged 9 and under in Bedfordshire in the last two years. What do you still have... Recorded on VHS or cassette. Jane in Milton Keynes told me earlier she's got the Queen Mums and Princess Diana's funerals on tape and she gets them out and watches them, mainly to see how the boys have grown. That's what she said, I know. And Alsey Town play Coventry City this weekend. Our r- r- reporter, Justin Dealey, will be one of the footballers. And his day job, I love it. His day job, he's a forklift truck driver. Fantastic. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Now, figures obtained by BBC Three Counties Radio show that 59 crimes have been committed by children aged nine and under in Bedfordshire in the last two years. Children aged uh, under the age of 10 are deemed to not be responsible and are not punishable by law. The crimes include a sexual offence by an eight-year-old in Alsey and life-threatening arson attempts by a four- and five-year-old in Luton. This morning we're asking, should we lower the age of criminal responsibility? And perhaps more importantly, at what age do children know right from wrong? If you want to give us a call, 08459 455 555. Well, Amanda Gummer is a psychologist from Hertfordshire specialising in child development. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. What age do you think kids can tell right from wrong? Oh, that all depends. Um, children have different views of what's right and wrong. And, and actually, if you, once you get into the adult world, you realise that most things are, are a shade of grey and you can't, things aren't always black and white. Young children very much work in the black and white, yes and no, right and wrong. But um, there's quite a lot of research into this and it shows how kids progress through different stages of moral development. And it's, it's sort of more about where they are and what their motivations for actions are as to whether or not something is right or wrong. But there are some things, aren't there, that are definitely black and white. Like, uh, we, we heard about some eight-year-olds who'd been lobbing bits of concrete over the edge of a bridge onto motorways. That's definitely wrong, isn't it? Absolutely, the act's wrong. But how? What's, but you need to look mm. at what's happening with the eight-year-old. If, is there some 14-year-old boys saying to them, if you don't, you know, come on, show you tough enough, if you don't lob this brick over the, the bridge, mm. we're going to beat you up. And, and for an eight-year-old, that's, that's not... It's not a question of just simply throwing a brick over a, a bridge and saying that this is wrong. It's, it's looking at why they're doing it and what their background is and, and what the, the other things that are motivating them are. What, what kind of reasons are there, do you think, that cause children to commit crimes at such a young age? Um, often it's self-interest or self-preservation. So right. um, maybe they're part of a gang, maybe they've got some older, older kids or older people pushing them into doing stuff that they um, they know they shouldn't do, but actually it's the lesser of two evils for them. So it's, think, it's to actually protect themselves from getting a good kicking, basically. That's one thing. Yeah. Um, it can be, you know, things like shopkeeping have often been um, identified with attention-seeking from... Um, Shoplifting, yes. Yeah, um, so it's just a way of getting attention, and, and kids crave attention, so any attention is better than... You know, bad attention is better than no attention. So it can be that they're feeling ignored and, and they need to do something big to make a, a bit of a splash so that people notice them. Um, it can be simply that they don't know mm. um, what's right and what's wrong and they think, you know, this might be a bit of fun. I wonder what happens if. And you've all had kids who wonder what happens if you put the plug in and leave the taps mm. on or wonder what happens if I pull my sister's hair. And it's just, they're just testing boundaries. And that, that's, I think, where the sort of criminality mm. or the, bound, the age boundary comes in because a lot of kids under 10... They're just going, oh, I wonder what happens if, you know, and, and they, don't, they don't mean to hurt anybody, they don't empathise, they haven't developed those kind of skills, so they can't really predict the consequences of their actions. Could it not be, there, there will be some people listening going, oh, that's, that, that's taking away their responsibility, could it not be the fact that they're just naughty, and they like doing naughty bad things? That's writing off an awful lot of kids. I don't. Not, I think not all of them, but perhaps some of them. I think there is a naughty streak in most people, and there is a good streak in both people, and mm. it's it's a question of degree. I think sometimes kids do just get sort of get it in them and to just wonder what you know. I want to I want to do something because I'm frustrated, because I'm angry, because I feel life's unfair. I don't believe I'm not I'm not a big believer in the whole original sin thing. So I I think that kids generally want to. Um, Everybody wants to work in their own interest. They want to have a nice life. They want to be happy. They want to have nice things. 
and they are more they're strong motivators so it might be that the selfish side and the self-interest overrides any sense of, of what's right and wrong and they're, they're doing things because they want the sweets from the shop so therefore they're going to take them and they're just that's you know plain naughty that's just greed but it doesn't mean that they can't be taught right from wrong and it doesn't mean that they haven't that they're they're old enough to be criminally responsible because then they might not have sort of really thought through the implications of stealing very quickly we had a caller uh, uh, earlier on who said give him a good slap <laughs> right what's your take on that um i um don't believe that that is a, a quick fix i think there are times when uh, smacking a child is is appropriate more for their own protection you know i would rather smack my child's wrist than have them run into the road and, and get killed or you know um hurt themselves but i think um i think firm boundaries and strong discipline and um, understandable consequences are the way forward. Amanda Gummer, thank you very much. What about the victims of crime? Well, Paul Fawcett is from the charity Victim Support. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. If you're the victim of one of these crimes done by, by let's say, an eight-year-old and your car has been vandalised, you'd want the, the, the offender prosecuted, wouldn't you, regardless of age? Not necessarily. Right. Um, I think, you know, one of our, our things that we, we believe very strongly of victim support, and, and this is based on having helped probably getting on for 30 million people uh, in the time we've been around as a charity, is that no two people have the same point of view of what a, a good punishment is. So if you ask 100, 100 victims what, what the right punishment for the incident you described is, you'll probably get 100 different answers. Um, but what brings victims together, the things that all victims have in common, is that A, they wish it had never happened to them, and B, they don't want it to happen to somebody else. Mm. They don't want other people to go through it. So punishment is a part of what victims want, and it's very hard to pin down exactly what the right answer of a punishment is. But more than that, victims want it to stop. And particularly with children, um, we have to think about the consequences of what we do to them, whether or not we're actually setting them up for a lifetime of crime or doing things that might stop them well, at a young age, and make them into responsible citizens. And I think, on balance, most victims are going to want the latter. Mm. Well, how do we do that with kids, then? How, if, if there are eight- to nine-year-olds committing these, in inverted commas, crimes... What is there we could do to stop them? Well, there is something around, and people may have heard of it, it's called restorative justice, and it, it's quite the thing, if you like, at the moment in, in, in criminal justice. And um, it can work with both young uh, offenders and with older ones. Well, is, is this the thing where you, you meet, your, meet the person who committed the crime? Well, that's part of it. It right. doesn't necessarily always involve a face-to-face -face meeting. It will depend on each case. But it is about actually getting the victim to explain, it, whether it's face-to-face -face or through a letter or through an intermediary, exactly what that crime has done to them. And for the victim to be able to ask questions such as, why did you pick on me? Mm. You know, what, what made you do this? And actually make the offender face up to that. And often, particularly for young um, offenders, this is very, very powerful um, because it actually bridges the gap that your, your other guest was just talking about, about making people actually, young, young kids actually understand what the effect of their actions is. And also from the victim point of view, it's very easy if you've been a victim of crime. And incidentally, I came home from work last night and found that, that some stuff had been nicked from outside my house and I was feeling quite angry about it. And you can build up this picture in your mind that there's a very, very threatening, you know, person out there who did it to you. And often when the victim comes into a situation,
situation like this and realizes that the the big hulking stranger they were worried about is a quivering 11 year old Mm. it actually helps them get a sense of perspective and think you know actually i can get on with my life i don't need to worry about this person out there it's actually just a rather sad little kid. Paul Fawcett uh, from the Charity Victim Support, thank you very much. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. What's your view on that? Uh, JVS will be back with a big phone in from nine o'clock and he'll be asking how do we stop children from committing crimes? We've got an email from um, I don't know, is this two separate emails or is it one long one from Steve? I think it's one long one. Uh, Many child crimes go unrecorded as either they're not caught or are simply given a warning. The recent series of adverts showing teenagers that no means no when it comes to sex is just one area. Uh, This may be controversial, but I believe all children will commit at least one crime. What will you do, Ian, when one of your boys commits a crime? I don't believe smacking a child is violence, as you described earlier. Most parents love their kids. It's simply punishment. When I was ten, I stole a penny car from a local newsagent. It was simply being in with the wrong crowd. The police came. I was given a stern talking to and a caution, but that was nothing to me then. But the words, wait until your father gets home, uh, meant I was in trouble. The resulting smacking uh, highlights to this day why I must not steal. I do not consider my father violent, but more concerned for my well-being and preventing me from being a criminal. 08459 455 555. Maureen's in Biggleswake. Good morning, Maureen. Good morning. What, what do you take on this? Well, you teach a child from the very beginning, don't you? Even when they start first eating, if they, they're not eating their dinner properly, you say, no, that was naughty, don't you? You say, no, can you eat your dinner properly? So you start from the beginning teaching a child right and wrong. Yeah. And they see it always around on TV, their brothers, sisters getting into trouble or some family. So they do know and they do test the boundaries. But at what age do they know? Because, for example, my boy, he's going to be three in January, he will not share his toys with his younger brother. He, and he, he gets angry if he, and upset if you take them off him. Does he know? Does he know that it's wrong to be upset about not sharing? I think sometimes they do. They right. just don't want to share. It's simple as that. Yeah. What, what, what would you do, Maureen? What, how, how do we stop it? Well, that's a hard question, isn't it? How do you stop it? Yeah. Apart from um, keeping an eye on the children and, and telling them, and probably more education, maybe. But that's a hard one. I, d- I don't quite know what the answer is to that Maureen, one. Maureen, thank you very much. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Now, Jonathan Vernon-Smith has joined me. Good, good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Boy, did we have fun yesterday. It was more fun than I'd ever imagined. Uh, thank you to everyone at Luton Who, who treated us almost like one of the celebrities they weren't allowed to mention to us. It was brilliant. L- l- sandwiches with the crust cut off. Yes. Offered soup, although I didn't want to eat soup in case I got it all down me and looked silly. Well, yeah, I was already making a mess with my sandwiches. Uh, and we went shooting. We did. It was it was brilliant. You've got a massive bruise on your chest. I've got a massive bruise. I mean, I, I think it's because I'm a wuss. Yes, because it uh, it was okay. It didn't really hurt, did it? No, it was no. okay. I'm a bit stiff. Are morning. you? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but it was such fun. Yeah. I had no idea. If you want, listen. If you want to see some pictures of what it looked like uh, on the Facebook page, we have put up some pictures of Jonathan and I shooting. There'll be a little bit of video as well of us up there. People are, people are asking why I was wearing my, wearing an eye patch, which <laughs> I've got here. So we, I was going to put it on for you today. I, I was pretending that there was some shrapnel. You, it, <laughs> 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 I have to spend the afternoon with him wearing this eye patch. Why did you have the eye patch? Because apparently I have a very dominant left eye. And it kept wanting to open. Oh, it is very dominant. Isn't it? Well, you've not heard this yet, have you? This is no, what happened. No, I haven't. Well, this is, this is what happened when Jonathan and I went shooting at Luton Who yesterday. I'm at Luton Who. I'm in the back of a car. With Jonathan Vernon Smith. Hello, Jonathan. Hello there, Ian Lee. And we're off shooting. This is it. We're actually going to go and fire guns. Apparently, we're going to get to use big ones and small ones. 
I, I don't know why they keep laughing whenever I say we that. We should introduce these, these, these chaps. What, what, what are your names, chaps? Uh, my name's Pete Lee. And I'm Tony Lee. Your coaches. Yeah. yeah, your coaches. Do you think we're going to have what it takes to shoot guns successfully? Oh, absolutely. 100% guarantee. Are you excited or are you a bit nervous? Um, kind of a mixture of both. I mean, these guns are coming out in, in fabric cases. They don't look terribly manly at the moment, but I reckon when they come out, they will be. You're obsessed about looking manly and butch today. Well, that's not what it's about. It's very rare that this happens to me. <laughs> OK, firstly, Luton Who. Luton Who shooting school. Most shooting grounds up and down the country profess to get people to shoot with both eyes open. Over the years, we've noticed, over the last 25 years, if you like, I've noticed that not, not everybody can shoot with both eyes open. As long as you can see, can you see yes. out of both eyes? Yes. Yeah, fine, you'll do well then. Remember, left foot forward. Yeah. Okay. I can Ent- smell gunpowder. That's like Guy Fawkes night, isn't it? Yeah, right, isn't it? face Ooh. down. Are you ready? Yeah. Here he comes. Move to him. Stay with him. Bang. Oh, look at it! <laughs> yes! Oh. I've trained a killer. Come on. <laughs> you feeling good? You, you hit it. I'm feeling really butch. It's all good. I'm just going to show you one again first. Ian's about to fire one now. Am I going to pull the trigger? The trigger? Oh, Here we go. Target's coming now. Follow him up. Bang. Oh, yes! yes! I shot it! <laughs> I shot it! <laughs> I shot it! <laughs> oh! Good work. Oh, <laughs> I shot two of them. I just shot. I just shot two of them. But on a on a serious note, guns aren't fun. <laughs> I just feel we should make some point out of this. Anyway, let's do some more shooting. Yeah. Are you ready? Come on, then, let's go. Right, here we go. Right, here we go. Let it get to the top. There we go. There. Oh, God. <laughs> Excellent. Why do you pull that terrifying face after each shot? That's what's quite my, worrying. My gum face. If both of us had guns and yeah. you were a zombie, yeah. Which one of us would you be most scared of? Probably you. Yeah. <laughs> you see? You see? Presumably this is quite an expensive sport. How much is a is this box of bullets here? Yeah, normally for the average guy that's going out shooting everywhere, he'd probably pay about five, six pounds for a twenty-five. So it's not a cheap sport. And a gun? What, what's a gun going um, for these days? A second-hand one costs you about 800 to £1,000. Pounds. What? Ooh. OK, well, that's it. That's our day of shooting done. Uh, to be honest, I've enjoyed this more than I thought I was going to. And I was better than I thought I was going to. You weren't bad. How do you feel after doing all that? I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I have found a, uh, a, an enjoyment for guns. Because uh, I, I was always a little bit against gun sports. But I can, I can see the point. It's quite an adrenaline rush. I can totally see the adrenaline. I want to do it again. I want to do it again. Definitely. Shall we join a gun club? Shall we? Shall we? Um, for, for two the things. army. <laughs> I'm in. Jonathan, it's been a pleasure shooting with you. No, likewise. And I didn't shoot you. You're still alive. Good. Oh, can we go now? Yeah, I've, go I've, I've run out of conversation with you. <laughs> <laughs> go on, then, let's go. Right. I, I've edited it slightly. I, th- I think, it, to be, in, in great fairness, you, you were perhaps a little bit better. No, no, I think we were both, uh, what, we were both good. What we did that no one will believe, we shot two targets with one bullet. With one bullet, yes. How good is that? Yes. Uh, my favourite was the semi-automatic gun. I like, I like that one. You're putting the, the gun face again. The bullets fired out the side of it as you shot it. Love that, love that one. <laughs> I feel like there's a... It's kind of lit this flame. I, I, feel like, I feel like I could be a trained killer in the future. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> what? I wonder if uh, Her Majesty's... What's that, MI5? Do you reckon they'd like us if this radio malarkey dries up?
Which inevitably will after that rubbish. <laughs> that was three minutes of radio. Halfway through, halfway through the afternoon, and we were there all afternoon, and, and Luton, who treated us marvellously, thank you so much. Halfway through the afternoon, I went, hmm, what's this report actually about? <laughs> Apart from us just being on a jolly, we need something. Hence the serious bits towards uh, the end. It was a lot of fun. Thank you it, very much. It was. No, it was, uh, it was great fun. I, I enjoyed this. I, I, well, I do genuinely want to do it again. Let's go again. Shall we do it again? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I'm that. Right. Now, what's on your show this morning? Coming up on the big phone-in today, how do we stop children committing crime. I've been very interested in this story you've been discussing this morning. Figures obtained by BBC Three Counties Radio show that in the last two years serious crimes in Bedfordshire have been committed by children as young as four years old. Quite incredible. Since 2010, 59 crimes have been committed by children younger than nine, and none of the guilty children can be punished by the law. The crimes include a sexual offence by an eight-year-old in Arlesey and life-threatening arson attempts by a four- and five-year-old in Luton. Well, from nine this morning, how do we stop children committing crime? I mean, if a if a five-year-old has set fire to your house, I would imagine you want uh, some kind of justice. You want that child to be punished. Or perhaps, perhaps it's not the child you want punished. Perhaps you think it's the parents that need to face the, uh, the strong arm of the law. From nine, I want your views. How do we stop children committing crime? 08459 455 555. It's this morning's big phone-in. I should say, if you want to see pictures and video of us, by the way, either follow us on Twitter at BBC3CR or go to the Facebook page and you can see um, uh, Jonathan meeting out his own form of justice there. With the, you'll see the eye patch. It really was terrifying. You look the like a Bond is, villain. You know I was saying if, I, if I, I could be a train killer, yes. I'd have to keep putting my patch on, wouldn't yeah. I? It would take a while. Hang on, hold still. <laughs> Don't move. <laughs> Listen, stay there. We've got, we're, we're talking about cassettes today. I'm a big fan of cassettes and videos and things like that. Joyce is in Lee Grave. Good morning, Joyce. Oh, good morning. You still use cassettes, do you? I still use tapes, yes, because uh, the side concern yes. and the volunteers that put the bits and pieces onto the tape for us... Oh, yes. Um is really, really, I couldn't do without it. They yes. put bits of three counties on. Oh. You're interesting bits. They know uh, you can put little bits of... I don't know if they're legally allowed to do that, <laughs> actually. <laughs> no, they, they, they tell me where yes. the shows are in oh. Dunstable and Luton, like oh. you talk about on your show programme. Yes. Uh, if I don't catch it, I can't write it down quick enough. So which, which three counties shows do, do you have on cassette, Joyce? No, no, I don't have them on cassette. What? They, they send me a tape every week. Right. And they tell me, via the radio, what you are talking about. What? They say, oh, they've got one show in Dunstable, the Globe, the Grove, or I... the Little Library Theatre, whatever it is, Luton. They put snippets of what you're talking oh, about. Oh, I see what they do, right, And yes. also... They, they, put, they make a mixtape for yes, you. Yes, and they put little bits of the newspapers, um, oh, you know, and everything else. And um, every week then I get that, Brilliant. and I love it because I can stop it, reverse it, write, Skip past it, bits. write it down slowly, <laughs> write it down slowly in big pen, yeah. and um, then I find it really, really most useful. Joyce, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Okay, I want your honest, honest answer. I'm, I, I'm still quite the new boy here. It's only my second month of, of being here. Um, the, the, the main presenters here, and sorry if I actually don't know, there's myself, Ian Lee, there's JVS, there's Nick Coffer, and there's Roberto. Could you put us in order of your favourites, please? <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's, num- who's number one? Well, I must say it's Roberto, because I've known him what? longer. What? I've, no- I've known That's him longer. That's the wrong answer! <laughs> 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 okay, well, well, okay, so Roberto's your favourite. Who's your second favourite okay. of myself, Jonathan, and Nick Coffer? 
I think that Nick Copper was the last one I got to know best. And you too, yes. And that little devil there with that chuckle. Yes. And the patch over his eye, which I can see from here. Yeah, I'm feeling like putting it on now, to be honest with you, Joyce. He's very naughty, but he's, he's very nice. He's very naughty. <laughs> Joyce, listen, thank you very much for your honesty. Jonathan, I shall be listening to your show. Take that, that patch off, please. Pass me my semi-automatic. <laughs> <laughs> you are very, very <laughs> naughty. Go on, please go away now. You've had more than, more than your fair share of... You'll be invoicing the company. Uh, that's Jonathan Venner-Smith. We'll be on at nine o'clock. Always worth uh, a listen. Uh, we are talking videos and cassettes and things like that. Roger from Letchworth, do you use video cassettes? Um, use... Yes. Yes, <laughs> quite a large residual collection oh. of video, how, yes. How many videos have you got? Oh, my word. Um, I mean, we're not talking hundreds here, but probably 30. Well, that's not so bad. And is it... No, no, but I mean, the point I was making um, to your um, uh, reception person... My my receptionist, yes. Well, if you want to go that far. Yes. (laughs) It comes up images I'd rather not have at this time. It's a work experience, lad, but yeah, go on. Yeah, okay, says it all. Um... Is that I, I, I remember reading an article in, a, in an IT publication in my branch yes. um, about the longevity of different recording medium. Right. Um, Are you a, you're speaking like a policeman. Are well, you? you're under arrest then. Oh, we go. Fantastic for this program. Yes. Um, yes, and basically it was it was saying how how long the, the whatever you write to a disc or a tape yep. or whatever um, might realistically last before that becomes corrupted and unreadable. Yeah. Um, Roger, get DVD- to the point. What are you trying to well, say to me, man? Speaking DVDs, DVDs and CDs last the least. No. And tapes last longer. Oh, you right? no DVDs. DVDs last longer than videos. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, a video cassette stored correctly will reliably last 30 to 50 years. Well, how long? You can put jam on a DVD. You can put what? You can put jam on a... Yeah. If you burn your own, of course, you've got an exposed surface. There we go. He got to exposed surfaces. I thought it was time to abort that comment. I don't want to hear about Roger's exposed surface on a Friday morning. Um, Nick and Hitchum on the text, 81333, starting his text 3CR. Loads of tapes. Mainly old comedies like The Navy Lark, Steptoe, The Goons, and of course loads of Led Zepp. Uh, Dave says, I've still got a cassette recorder, three of them in home, uh, and over 200 tapes. I have all the young ones on video, which I recorded off the TV, and the video player comes out now and then to watch them. I think everybody's got the young ones on video. Um, and Jay from Luton, the last cassette I played was Meryl Osmond's Family Christmas at Last Christmas, and my son is going to listen to it again this Christmas. My last record was Kate Robbins' Saturday Night. Blimey. On FM, AM, and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the last half an hour of the show before JVS, the government's COBRA emergency meeting uh, committee is meeting later today to discuss the threat to the UK's ash trees. Our reporter Jessica Cooper has been to the woods in Milton Keynes to find out what the Parks Trust is doing about it. Alsey Town play Coventry City tomorrow. Reporter Justin Dealey meets one of the players. He's a forklift truck driver. Not Justin, although he could be if this career doesn't pan out for him. And also cassettes and videos. We've, we've had some great calls on this. Isn't it funny? We can do all this planning about all these big news stories. 
and we think we all, all these topics we think we're going to get calls on, and uh, uh, we, we make a little flippant remark about cassettes being stolen, and the phones have gone mental. My favourite was the call from the lady who has the Queen Mother's funeral and Princess Diana's funeral on tape. They watched them recently to see how the boys have grown. Isn't that nice? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Uh, this story really is growing, and when I first heard it, I kind of thought, ah, you know, but it, it's just getting bigger and bigger. There are concerns uh, that a disease in ash trees, which was first spotted in the UK at a nursery in Buckinghamshire, has spread to more mature trees. In Milton Keynes, the Parks Trust is keeping a close eye on ancient woodlands and has suspended the planting of new ash trees. It comes as the government's Cobra Emergency Committee meets today to discuss the threat to the trees. Our reporter, Jessica Cooper, has been for a walk in the woods in Milton Keynes to find out what the Parks Trust is doing about the problem. So I've come along to Linford Wood, 100 acres of woodland right in the centre of Milton Keynes. And it's one of the oldest woodlands in this area. It dates back to um, the Doomsday Book. I'm joined by Rob Reekey, who's Head of Operations at the Parks Trust. Um, Rob, we're surrounded by trees. I know nothing about trees, so I, mm-hmm. I don't really know which are the ash trees. Which ones are, are in trouble in this area? Well, the ash trees here in, in Linford Wood, uh, they're the trees that actually just about l- lost all their leaves for the moment. And in Linford Wood, they actually take up about 60-65% of the higher canopy. That's the, the taller trees within the wood. We have some deep concerns. Um, we, we knew of this disease on the, on the continent for some time, as most people have. DEFRA and their agency, DEER, have got in contact with us about a month ago saying that uh, a nursery in the UK had supplied us with some ash saplings that uh, had been reared in, in Holland, I believe. Uh, so they want to come down and inspect those saplings um, which they did do, and those saplings were given a, a, a clean bill of health. We don't suspect at the moment that the disease is in Milton Keynes. The nearest known uh, record of the disease in, in mature woodland is, is just around Cambridge. It's autumn, so there aren't hardly any leaves on, on the trees. So how do you spot if a tree is infected? If it was fully leaved, uh, you would be looking for wilting of those leaves. So in a normal summer situation, you'd be looking for leaves that actually was, were looking like were dying and, and they would go brown and they'd go black and you'd see the, 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 the leaf stalks and the small stems leading up to leaves also uh, actually showing signs of stress and, and dying um, beyond that you would then see um, some small cankers or some small death of the, the bark and, and, and the stem. Other than um, keeping your eyes open in, in woodlands like the one we're in now, what, what other steps has the Parks Trust taken to try and make sure that um, the disease doesn't come to this area? Last week before the, the general government bans came in, we actually uh, put us upon ourselves and, and, and suspended all planting of ash trees in, in Milton Keynes, or certainly the Parks Trust trusted so that's the first step is to make sure no new planting takes place because you're never quite sure where those those plants are actually coming from how important is the tree to to this local area this is good ash country big concern to us about how how this this disease is going to be spread we're hoping nature's going to help us as well uh, as as things move along but no it is vitally important the ash the ash are are, are a major 
contribution to, to, the, to the landscape here. The Woodland Trust is planting a new native woodland at Hartwood Forest on the edge of St Albans. The next round of planting is due to start this month and they were originally planning to plant around 7,000 ash trees. Now that's been cancelled and instead they'll have to use other native species. Joining us on the line is Austin Brady, Head of Conservation at the Woodland Trust. Good morning Austin. Oh, no, I've got the wrong one. That was, that was, I do apologise, that was Justin's fader. Austin, you're there. Yes, I am. Sorry about that. That's How okay. much of an impact is the ash disease having on your plans? Well, like everybody else, we've, we've mounted a rapid response to do whatever we can to, to help minimise the risk. And, and that means changing some of our plans, certainly in the short term, to suspend all of our planting of ash for this current planting season and to make sure we use other native species instead. As I say, when I, f- when I first heard about this, I was kind of like, nah. But as it's going on, this is really becoming a huge story. Could it mean the end of ash trees in this country? There is a serious risk that we could lose many millions of ash trees, that's correct. Um, And of course this could have a bigger impact in some parts of the country than others. In in large parts of lowland England, the ash tree is a significant component of mixed woodland but in some part of the uplands, like the Peak District and the Yorkshire Dales, Mm. um, some of those woods are are dominated by ash trees and the impact there could be even worse. So it could make a significant change to, to the look of our woodland areas. I think that's absolutely right, and not just the woodlands, because uh, many of the small woods and, and copses and hedgerows contain ash trees too, some of which are very old and are important habitats in their own right for birds and bats and bugs and so on. Um, so the impact could be quite dramatic, not just in woodlands, but across the wider countryside too. Austin, what do you think about the way that the government has handled this? I mean, the government, they've they've swung into action and followed some fairly sort of well-established procedures, but our concern is that those procedures may not really have been completely fit for purpose. Um, The ash problem is really very, very serious, but of course we've got other really important native trees like the, you know, the all-so-important oak tree, and we need to make sure that we're not only combating the ash problem, but we're prepared to fight off the other pests, diseases and threats that might be coming across from the continent, and that means getting together and and making an action plan, really. some controversy i've heard about the fact that this was first noticed i think in february and the government only put a ban on importing of ash trees a few weeks ago or like this week i think wasn't it actually i think that's part of the, the question we really need to ask in terms of are the procedures that are followed are they really the best way of dealing with this yeah. um it's not necessarily that the government is slow to act it's a question of whether you know the standard operating procedure they followed is the one that we really need to be operating in these circumstances and that's why we've pressed for a, a summit of all the key interests to get together and talk about about these issues and thankfully the government have responded to that and hopefully we're going to get round the table with them soon. Uh, finally Austin I saw on the news last night there's a fella who claims he's got um, a, a, a thing that can um, th- th- an antidote that's the word my mind's all over the place there an antidote that will work on this have you heard about that is that is that a reality a possibility? To be honest I've, I've heard about probably half a dozen different suggestions right, as to okay. how we might tackle this and we'd have to look at them all very carefully because of course we don't want to suddenly try something and discover that we're doing more harm than good so caution rather than knee-jerk is required. Austin Brady, Head of Conservation at the Woodland Trust, thank you very much. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Should we have some good news? Let's have some good news, I think. It's the FA Cup first round proper this weekend and giant killing is the name of the game. Arlsey Town travel to Coventry City tomorrow for perhaps the biggest game in the club's history. They sit five divisions below the Sky Blues, who won the FA Cup back in 1987. So, can they pull off the shock of the round? Well, Justin Dealey is on a building site with one of the players. Mixed, yeah. Justin, do you support Coventry? Uh, no, I support Luton Town. I, I do apologise, sir, <laughs> if I've offended you in any way. 
tell us where you, whereabouts you are and who you is. Well, I'm in Luton at the moment, as you can probably hear. I'm, wow. I'm w- with a forklift truck and Ryan Freighter. Ryan is the captain uh, of the team. He's thoroughly looking forward to tomorrow. Ryan, can you come down off the truck now for us? There we go. <laughs> he's, he's got the day job today, you see, Ian. It's, it's the day job Super. today. He is living the dream tomorrow. Ryan, welcome to the programme. I know that you can't wait for tomorrow. How long have you been a forklift truck driver for? Uh, I've been here for five years now. Um, my granddad worked in the sales here and um, obviously he got me a job and I've, I've been here ever since. So the game, you are four divisions below Coventry. Your ground holds about a 1,000. Theirs holds 32,000. Just uh, describe your emotions ahead of this big match. You know, um, getting to the FA Cup first round and drawing a team of Coventry's um, of our history and uh, obviously them winning the FA Cup... Um, it's, be, it's going to be an amazing day going out there, uh, playing in front of 10, 12,000 people. All the boys are buzzing and we can't wait for it. And this is the dream tie for you. W- when this draw was made, you were jumping up and down. It really is the dream tie. You know, I watched it live on ITV. Um, saw we drew, uh, we drew Coventry City. You know, they won the FA Cup, so it's, it's, a, it's a massive game to go to. Um, obviously, being at Coventry as well, they've got a new uh, stadium, the Rico Arena. Uh, the pitch will be immaculate, so all the boys like, are buzzing for it, looking forward to it. Ian's just mentioned about giant killing. Some people would say, you've done very well to get this far, but you genuinely think that you can pull off a shock here. <laughs> you know, you've got to give uh, the respect to commentary. They're a full-time outfit uh, in League One, but they're going through tough times at the minute. I mean, they're bottom of their league, uh, League One, struggling, not a, got a settled team. Whereas at Olsey, we're like... I know we're four divisions below, but we've got great team spirit. Um, we're a good bunch of lads. We, we work hard for each other. And you know, if Coventry have a bad day and we have a very good day, uh, we can cause an upset. Is it going to be the best day of your life? You know, yeah, I've been playing football since I was 16 years old. Um, this will be the biggest game uh, of my career. Um, I've been in the FA Cup first round a few times, but nothing compares to this going to commentary away. We spoke to one of your teammates earlier on, Dave, and he said, well, some of the family are going, but I'm not quite sure if I'm going to start, so it's, uh, a lot of them won't be going. Not the case for you. You're the captain. The whole family's going. Yeah, you know, none and granddad are coming. Uh, my mum, uh, my little brother, uh, my girlfriend, a few of her friends are coming up, and then I've got my own pals are coming up as well. And, yeah, so I'll have a, I'll have a good support there. So hopefully I can put, a, put on a show for them. Yeah, fingers crossed. Right, let's go to the car. Ian, we do have a world exclusive right oh, now. Oh, go on, yes. Are you ready for this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and we have a, a very special guest in our radio car. We have Mystic Sarah with us today. What? Now, she knows her stuff. Okay, She fantastic. predicts the future. Yeah. She correctly predicted that I would have three sugars in my coffee this morning. <gasps> Justin, you're yeah. messing with my mind! I know. She predicted that Little Mix would win the X Factor last year. Oh, really? She predicted that Ronnie Wood would get married again. And the big one... I'll be honest, the Ronnie Wood one, that, that was yeah. pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was always on the cards, wasn't it? She even correctly predicted that Mr Blobby would be Christmas number one in 1993. Okay. Nobody else believed You've her. You've got me convinced. But of course, he did win that battle. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mystic Sarah's in the car with us. Ryan, the captain here, can you just confirm these are the boots you're going to be wearing tomorrow? Tell us what these boots are. They are uh, the new Blue Night Legends and they will be the boots I'm wearing tomorrow. Okay, so that's confirmation. Here's Mystic Sarah. You are feeling the boots right now. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from leather... Tell us what you're feeling. What's the score going to be? I'm getting some very positive vibes from them. I'm, I'm seeing even, even numbers. Ooh. And my prediction is it's going to be a two-all draw. Hey. Two-all draw. That yeah, wouldn't be bad. Hey, hey, two-all draw. Ryan, you, you, you're a bit worried about this because you thought it was going to be a hammering, but uh, a two-all draw, that would be dreamland. Take them back to your place. Oh, if it's two-all, I'll be buzzing with that. Take them back to our place for the replay on Tuesday. And then obviously, we'll play to our conditions then, so hopefully nick, nick the win there. But yeah, two-all, I'll take that all day. Excellent stuff. Now, we have got your contact details. Uh, tomorrow, of course, we're all hoping for the best. Win, lose or draw. Can we catch up with you on Monday? We can, you can, yeah. Oh, and just one final question. 
mentioned, uh, Dave again earlier on was saying that you're going to be going to Birmingham tomorrow night. If you do win and pull off this shock, you being the captain, I reckon you might not be going because you'll be on TV everywhere, won't you? Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to make them short and sweet and uh, do them interviews quick because I, I, I definitely want to be out with the lads having a few drinks. Very professional <laughs> attitude. Well done. There you go. That was uh, Ryan Fraser, the captain of Arsie Town, of course, going to Coventry tomorrow. And Ian, when I think about some of my happiest memories when it comes to football, I know you're not a massive football fan, no. but trust me, okay. the FA Cup, well, when these giant killings happen as a fan, there is nothing better. Oh, listen, you can't, if, if they win, even I'll be excited. You can't mm. help but, but, but wish, wish them luck, can you? It's David against Goliath, and in the FA Cup, I know it's very, very cliche, but you never quite know what's going to happen. It's, it's arguably the biggest game in their history, you, and we're hoping and praying they can pull it off. Just, just going on a slight tangent, because news and weather, let's be honest, they can wait. Yes. Uh, the, the, your mystic lady there, yes. Mr Blobby was number one in 1993. Was she even born then? Uh, yeah, yeah, she, of course she, she was. She yes. sounds about 18 years old. <laughs> she correctly predicted it. Hey, I'm going to go and put some money on that for a 2-2. Do it. And Monday morning, when I'm rolling in it, and you're saying, well, I didn't quite believe her, yep. we'll be having a very different conversation. Oh, okay. When you come in lighting cigars with £50 notes, we'll know that I was... We'll know that I was wrong. Thank you, Justin. Excellent stuff. Really good. Nick Copper, <laughs> Monday to Saturday from 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Yeah. He's not in today. <laughs> he's not. He's, he's still poorly. Luke Ashmead's filling in for Nick, uh, Nick Copper. Get well soon, Nick. It's frustrating when the voice goes. It really is. And he has lost his voice. So fingers crossed to be uh, back for tomorrow's show. 08459 555. We're in a little bit of a pickle. We were supposed to have a harmonica player before the end of the show. Fingers crossed he will make it. Fingers crossed. But, could we get a backup, please? Can we get a backup? If you play the harmonica, could you give us a call and just be on standby? I think, because th- this guy, and I really hope he turns up, because apparently he's excellent. Uh, Richie, he's supposed to be superb, and I'm really looking forward to hearing him. But, if you play the harmonica, or any instrument, let's be honest, we've only got ten minutes, I'm a bit desperate, could you give us a call and be our backup musician? 0845. It's a little thing that we do on the Fridays. We, I don't know how it's evolved, but we like to get someone in who's a bit musical just to kind of leave on a slightly positive note. So if you play ideally a harmonica, but failing that, pretty much anything. Can be a pair of spoons, to be honest. 08459 455 555. We need a backup musician just in case Richie Prynne doesn't make it in. Oh, there we go. I'm a poet and I didn't realise. Isn't that fun? 08459 455 555. We've been talking about old cars and old Vauxhalls in particular. Dave is from Lillybottom. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. Uh, tell us your story about old cars. Oh, yes. The, the uh, gentleman who was speaking from the museum, yes. uh, it uh, brought back memories for me 28 years ago when, uh, uh, for my wedding, um, the, my wife and I went to the church in the uh, very same 1910 uh, Vauxhall Prince Henry from the museum. Oh, they, see, the, things like, I, I don't know a lot about cars, Dave, but I do, like, I do like looking at really old cars. And the car that you get driven about in on your wedding day is, is particularly special. We had a vintage white Rolls Royce. Uh, but that must have been fantastic to, to, to have had that. Oh, it was absolutely fabulous. Um, uh, the roof was down uh, on, on the way to the wedding. And in fact, it was a wedding blessing. We got married the day before, so this was on the way to the church blessing. And then it was top hat and tails, and my wife looked beautiful. And uh, it was just absolutely brilliant, gorgeous sunshine. We had the wedding blessing, came out, um, and it started raining on the way back, so <laughs> we got pretty wet on the way back. But never mind. Did he not uh, pull over and put the roof up? 
Oh, well, he did, but we were only going a couple of miles, oh, okay. so uh, uh, it's something something to uh, uh, to talk about later, isn't it? Dave, thank you very much for that. We we had a, a vintage white Rolls Royce. Well, we hired it, obviously, as you do these things. I don't drink, and my wife, uh, she had a glass of champagne, and she sorted out for me. The driver came out, and he went to pour a drink. And I said, oh, I don't drink. He said, Oh no, no, this is special for you, American cream soda, the greatest drink in the world, the cream soda. Wonderful. Videos and cassettes. There's a superb letter in the Telegraph today from Philip Duckling of Bognor Regis. Sir, I read recently in my local paper, the Bognor Regis Observer, of the theft of some cassette tapes from a car. This begs two questions. Who still has cassettes in their car and who would want to steal them? Well, it got us to thinking, who uses cassettes? I love cassettes. I've got a big box full of them. Um, and loads of videos and things like that. And, uh, these videos, uh, some of them are very special to me. Some of them are stuff I did years and years ago. Um, uh, uh, and some of them are very special. A lot of them are rubbish. I've got lots of episodes of The Young Ones and The Merry White House Experience. Just, when, when am I ever going to watch? I believe I've got to take that concert I taped on Christmas Day one day as well. Yeah, I know. I know. Never even watched it then from, what, 20 years ago? And I should throw them away, but I just can't. I can't do it. Well, Glenn is, uh, uh, is on the line. Good morning, Glenn. Morning, Ian. Do you still use a video recorder? I do, yes. Why? Um, well, I've got a lot of stuff of the kids that I recorded years ago. Yeah. So uh, it's been fun watching those back. Yeah. But I just think it's, a, it's nostalgic. It's a bit like video, uh, like vinyl records. Yeah, yeah. It just has a certain feel to it. Um, when you look at a CD player or a DVD player, it's a little box, it's a light, and that's it. And But the, the skill that went into making video recorders is, is something different. Uh, it, it is something very special. Do you know what? There is a video on uh, YouTube. It's a, it's a... I can't remember if he's... I think he's Finnish. It's a Finnish guy showing off his collection of video recorders. It's not video yeah. video recorders. It lasts 11 minutes. He has oh, yeah. thousands of them. I'm going to try and find that so I can put it on the Facebook page. <laughs> You're right, there is something very special about holding a big chunky videotape isn't it yeah yeah betamax yeah. or vhs glenn i was uh, vhs low the betamax was a better system thank you for, i used to get thank you glenn we have to move on i got beaten up at school for um having a betamax video recorder i did i got beaten up for having betamax it was better quality yes you could only get heaven can wait and that darn cat on on betamax video but it was much better quality well where the hell have you been? <laughs> he made it. He made it. Uh, Richie Prynne, am I saying that right? Yes, that's right. Fantastic. You made it in. What kept you so long? We were getting worried. Satnav. Oh, man. You can never trust the Satnav. I definitely should never have trusted the Satnav. The Satnav is. They're wonderful, but they're, let's be honest, they're also rubbish. Yeah. It sent you the wrong way, did it? It was either rubbish or. It, firstly, it told me it was going to take an hour and a half to get here. Yeah. So I think maybe it was really clever and it actually knew that I was going to get seriously lost. Yep, yep. Uh, and then it made me get seriously lost so <laughs> well listen uh, we, we, we we like to have a little bit of music on a friday we've had ukuleles we've had harps and we had clem curtis from the foundations last week this week it's richie Prynne. he's from shefford in bedfordshire uh and what kind of that's a fantastic guitar you've got there that's, that's a pretty old-fashioned fat-bodied hollow guitar it's beautiful guitar isn't it what what, what, what make is it? i've not seen that one before uh Michael Kelly, you shouldn't... I was hoping you weren't going to mention it, actually, because oh. it's not mine, and oh. I've not even asked permission to use it. Oh, blimey. Have you, have you nicked it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. No, I've borrowed it uh, in, to sell for my girlfriend's dad. Oh, OK, all right. So, okay, I've so brought it in. That, 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 we don't, we, we'll move on from the guitar. Yeah, that don't you, 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 we won't mention the guitar on the radio. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll start now. Listen, we've only got a few minutes. Do you want to get straight in with a song and give us a song? Uh, yeah, I can. I've kind of... I'm not uh, normally a guitarist or anything in, in, the, yeah. in, our, in our band, so I've kind of... I've 
I'm more of a songwriter and then a singer. Okay. And a harmonica player. So I've got kind of half a song that give I've us been half writing. A song, so yeah. I'll just show you where I've G- got. Give to. us half a song that you've been writing. This is exciting. Why not? Okay. Um. Okay. Here we go. Baby knows where she's gone, where it's turned when the wind is blown. My baby knows who, who loves her. My baby made a pact, stick together, and that's a fact now. My baby knows who, who loves her. Now who loves her, how she does her. What my baby wants, she gets uh, Don't you see what my baby wants, she gets uh, Off me, what my baby wants, she needs it Gets from me, my baby gets what my baby wants And that's the way it is you're not much of a guitar player. I mean, I play guitar. That was brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Was, I'll be honest, I'm surprised by that. You, you look like a young man, you, but you've got the voice of, a, of an older man, and that's quite an old-fashioned style song. What, what are your influences? Uh, uh, all sorts, but a lot, a lot of old yeah. retro music. I like uh, Muddy Waters, like a lot of old blues. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of... Uh, I wanted to kind of go more like Spanish-y kind of... Um, you know, Mediterranean. Yeah, feel. yeah. So, yeah, but, but all you, sorts. You look like a boy. I'm, su- I'm Thank so surprised you. the sound that came out of you. Listen, we're almost running out of time. Tell us about the band. What's what band are you part of? Uh, the band CC Smugglers, right? Um, and it's kind of a uh, a roots kind of play, kind of new roots music, um, as old time and stuff. Uh, we're touring a lot at the moment. Give us give us some dates or how uh, we can find out about you. Have uh, you got, got a website? Uh, yeah, go on the website, ccsmugglers.co.uk, yep. or even better, like us on Facebook, and then we can bombard you with all our material. The f- well, listen, send us some stuff, man. I love that. I, thought, I genuinely thought that was brilliant. I'm sorry we've not got longer. No. Damn you, Satnaz. <laughs> Damn you, technology. That's Richie Prim from uh, CC Smugglers. He's uh, from Shefford in Bedfordshire. Superb stuff. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Seriously. And album release on in February. Oh, well, then come back in in February. Thank you. There we go. It's as simple. We've got a guest book for February already. It's sorted. Right. Oh dear, that was a rush. Thank you everyone who's called in. A busy week. Lots of calls. It's always appreciated. I'm off for the weekend. I'll be back on Monday at six. I'll hand you over now to uh, the man who's got the, the deadliest eyes in showbiz. What a name. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. 